The information presented in this program is not intended as legal, health, or nutritional advice. All topics are provided for informational purposes only and are not necessarily endorsed. Neither Light On nor its host accepts responsibility for any statements, views, or opinions presented in this episode. All rights reserved. All right, welcome to Light On Podcast. Uh, today, I'm talking to Roman Bistrianic, uh, who is the author of Dissolving Illusions, Disease, Vaccines, and the Forgotten History. Uh, I'm really excited to, to talk about this subject. It's uh, obviously been something I've talked a lot about in the last uh, two years, and uh, you've written uh, an extensive uh, book on this. Um, so if you're a if you're a fan of vaccines and you or you're taking vaccines or you're open minded, uh, you know, you might want to listen to this to this episode. You might change your mind. You know, give us a give us a chance and um, and, you know, see what we have to offer here. I think this is, uh, um, you know, a subject that a lot of people don't really um, it's it's very foreign to them that they that they might not need uh, some foreign substance pumped into their body <laughs> to, to stay healthy. Um, so it's a, that's a really weird notion, right? Like that, that we might need some kind of pharmaceutical to stay alive. Um, sure. where, where, so what, what do you cover in the book? Like what, what made you want to do this first of all? And so it's, and it's not my book alone. It's with Dr. Suzanne Humphreys. Yes. I'm sorry. Uh, that's correct. I'd like to add, we both started out as very pro-vaccine because that's what everybody thought. And I, from my point of view, I just thought it was a great, greatest invention that got rid of lots of diseases, like measles and whooping cough and things I didn't even know about because that wasn't my kind of area of interest. I didn't really care. I just knew they were a great invention. They wiped out all these diseases. And uh, same with Suzanne. She never really thought about it. She just, you know, she was kind of agnostic about it. Just like, oh, I give shots and that's it. I don't know anything about it, but I assume it's good. <clears throat> it's only when we went to look and started looking at the actual data and looking at the history that you find out it's not the same story in the history that you know you've been told. And I'm a data-driven guy, my background's engineering. So when I went to get actual data, that was the first thing that hit me in the head really hard was these charts that I'm gonna cover don't show what I believed at all, which was, you know, quite startling at the time. That was like over 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, once you see these charts, it, at least for me, I think for anybody, they'll make you question what's going on because it doesn't fit the narrative. Mm -hmm. so I think that's, uh, I think that happens with a lot of people. I know a few doctors and nurses that went through the same experience. Oh yeah. Vaccines are great. When they went to look, they were quite puzzled as to what's actually there compared to the narrative. And you and you and you use a lot of their own statistics, right? Like a lot of this stuff is um from uh vital what is it called? <laughs> US vital it? statistics, right? Vital statistics, yeah. correct. So US vital statistics, that's that's the only place you can go to get data. That's the okay. ultimate place to get data uh in the US. 
And then the National Health Service in, in England has statistics and every country has statistics. But that's where you go get the statistics. And that's where I got the statistics from. I didn't get it from uh, some herbal journal or some, you know, yeah. you know, some yeah. kind of dis- conspiracy way. website or something. Right. <laughs> yeah. I actually went to the these when I first started, I went to these uh, big they used to be in these big olive green books. And I photocopied all these pieces of data and put them in an Excel spreadsheet and charted them. So you can't get better data. This is you can find this data on the CDC website if you really dig because it's not really at the top. Uh, so, but, but they're in the vital statistics is what's, which was, I think before the CDC was around. So they, they kept all track of all these statistics who, you know, births and deaths and marriages and all sorts of different things, including disease, you know, people who died from various diseases from cancer to heart disease, to all these so-called infectious diseases. So they kept track of all this stuff. So so that's your best bet for getting data. You can't get better data. So this is where the data comes from. And and I'll show you some of these charts and uh, and it'll show the references on there. And I'll show you where you can get the references yourself and verify that I'm not making, you know, not making anything up. Y'all think, excuse me, I have a little bit of a a tickled throat today. Oh, no worries. Um, So, so this (laughs) information is basically buried. Um, What in your experience, what, if anything, are they using to kind of convince people um, that vaccines are necessary and, and good for them? There, I know um, absolute risk reduction versus relative risk reduction is, is one that they use as kind of a statistical manipulation that I'm not smart enough to explain properly because it's really kind of mathy. Right. So, so in general, they don't explain anything to parents. They just say, here's the schedule. We're done. That's it. Um, and as far as going in medical school, uh, at least this is the way it was, um, 10, 20 years ago. I don't know what they do now, but they don't explain anything. They just, the same thing as doctors and nurses. Here's the schedule, give it on time. This is what we do. They don't tell you anything about it. As far as I know, I mean, maybe in some places they do, but the nurses and doctors I've talked to, they don't tell them anything. So they don't even know. They're simply given the, uh, information. Okay. This is what you're going to do. Um, there are studies out there, but as I go over some of these studies, they're extremely flawed. They're cherry picked data. Whereas I show all the data, they pick the data that fits their narrative for whatever reason. It might be monetary. Maybe it's just ideological, mm-hmm. but for some reason in these studies that lots of doctors read, and then they talk to their you know patients. They're highly biased studies that don't give you the full picture. And if they did, then we would have a different world on the planet. So we, it would be completely different. Um, so uh, what do they tell parents? Not too much. As little as they can. Uh, they have various booklets and stuff like that showing how vaccines have saved everybody. And I haven't read any recent ones. But uh, even the old uh, parents' guides from the, I think it was the late 90s, they left out information out of those. They they basically, anything really bad, they would just kind of hide away. So they would just kind of just give you this kind of like Pollyannish kind of wonderful kind of picture of vaccines. It's not really informed consent. And I, I'm going to emphasize that doctors probably don't know, nurses probably don't know this stuff because they're not told it. You have to go looking for it yourself. Yeah. And you're just not getting informed consent. You're not giving, you're not given the whole picture. 
And because you're not given the whole picture, you're given given this kind of a fantasy idea. And from that, you make a decision. Well, and and honestly, I was there too. I was like, well, I should give my vaccines to my kids because they're safe and effective. This tagline has been kind of just pushed into your brain without even knowing where it comes from. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think when you start looking at these charts, it's it's kind of mind-blowing that it's so radically diametrically opposed to this whole uh, philosophy of, you know, we need to vaccinate everybody. And, you know, I just, I look at data, I look at data, I look at history, and that's what informs me. Uh, the, you know, mantras of people on the television or doctors or whoever, that doesn't really mean anything. I want to see the hard, cold facts. And uh, you just don't get that. Yeah. There's very little of that actually, uh, actually put out. And doctors really don't spend the time, nor do they have the time to really look into this stuff. You know, they're kind of led by the hand through medical school. They're given sort of like the formula, the recipe to follow. They never validate things. They never verify things. They don't really have time uh, or the inclination sometimes to really look at what they're being taught to see if it's, you know, to, to validate this information. So they kind of accept these things as true. Um, and I mean, that's a huge problem when, you know, these people are in charge of everybody's health. Sure, sure. So, yeah, uh, like Dr. Jane Gooden, uh, Dugan, um, yeah, she talked about that. She said, you know, we have a rigorous schedule. We have so much time to learn all these different things. And we accept everything they're telling us as true automatically. There's yeah. no there's no time to even think about it. You have to just download all this information to get through all this um, curriculum. So when right. you come over co- cover vaccines, like in a short period of time, all your was well, get it on schedule. This is what the schedule is. That's it. And you're like, okay, I got it. You know, you don't have time to like, you know, discuss history or look at charts or anything like that. That doesn't happen. Right. Apparently. Yeah. Uh, again, maybe it happens sometimes, but in the people I've talked to that they never said they really cover much of anything. Certainly mm-hmm. not the ingredients, certainly not the manufacturing process, certainly not any of the history. It's just simply, this is what it is. We're done. Yeah. So speaking of history, uh, you, you've shown me a little bit of the history of vaccines. Can you can you show a little bit of that? Like, where did this whole idea come from as far as vaccinating people? What is the, where did okay. it all start? Well, we can, it depends on how you want to handle this, because I have some slides about that later on. on okay. Um, the history of smallpox. Yeah, um, yeah, and how that all came to uh, came to be, but this this notion of protecting you by getting you, you know, sick in some capacity has been around for three hundred years, and even if it's not really been successful, really much of any time, it's been quite quite disastrous. It stills <laughs> taken hold, and even though there were doctors, especially in the later eighteen hundreds, that thought this would all go away, that this would be this medical curiosity, it's still around today just doesn't seem to want to go away mm-hmm. and now today it's just basically so embedded it's hard for anybody to believe that maybe this was not such a great idea after all right the whole germ theory but i think the charts really really tell the story and we can uh we can go okay. over that whenever you're ready I'll just yeah let's dive let's dive right into it sure okay let's see so there i like to cover a couple of quotes that i always found to be really inspirational and this is one of one of my favorites. I think it's in the, the book. Um, 
fatal tendency of mankind to leave off thinking about a thing when it's no longer doubtful is the cause of half their errors. So once you think something is true and everybody else thinks it's true, then you don't even bother thinking about it. And that's certainly true with vaccines. It's like, I don't have to think about it. Somebody else did. Somebody smarter than me has thought about it and they've come to this conclusion. It must be true. Right. Yeah. And I think doctors do that as well, as we said, right? Well, doctors are just people. Yeah. They have a certain background education, but they're subject to being manipulated or having a belief system just like everybody else. Right. Um, but like, even and, if they, even if they like sort of uh, get, get the, um, you know, if they check into something and they see that there's something wrong, doesn't make sense. Like, Hey, we didn't do controls here or something, you know, like the whole field of virology, like they'll, they'll just say, well, you know, this obviously might must be the right thing to do because everybody is doing it, you know? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of human behavior. I find I'm not a psychologist or anything like that, but uh, I find it's a monkey see monkey do. If you have enough monkeys doing it, <laughs> you're going to do it too. Yeah. Nobody wants to look like the outsider. Nobody wants to be made fun of. Nobody wants their career endangered. Right. Nobody likes that, no matter who you are, unless you're really very centered and don't care <laughs> what people do, right? But there's a lot of societal pressure to keep you in line. And people just you know, follow with the program. They don't want to look different. And, uh, uh, well, there's there's exceptions like Suzanne. She She... Once she determined that this was not a you know, true course, she gave up her six-figure, high six-figure job, and she had a prestigious position, um, and she just gave it up. She said, "I'm not going to do this anymore. I can't be part of this. This is not. This is not the truth." So there what are people that do that, but they're pretty rare, huh? What was her specialty? Nephrology, uh, kidneys. Oh, okay. Well. Yeah, she was doing quite well. She was well respected, but then uh, she. <laughs> She was uh, finding problems with her kidney patients because they had problems with their kidneys just after the um, the flu vaccine. And she was she thought it was kind of curious because she was just taking histories and she had a few people in a row tell her, uh, oh, I was fine till I got that vaccine. She's like, oh, what vaccine? I think it was the H1N1 that came out. Oh, yeah. She's like, oh, that's curious. Uh, no, maybe we should stop giving those vaccines when you, you come to the hospital because maybe that's causing some kind of kidney problems. <laughs> and so she tried to stop the, that. Because as a nephrologist, you can stop anything you want, any kind of medications, because you feel it's damaging the kidneys. Mm-hmm. And when she did that, she got a lot of blowback. She's like, no, you can't do that. She's like, well, why not? And uh, she, she got into some uh, uncomfortable arguments with various doctors in the hallway and, you know, it just kind of just really uh, disturbed her that this was like a taboo subject. You couldn't say anything. You couldn't do anything about it. So then she started doing her own research and found a lot of stuff that just didn't fit. And she's a very bright lady and she's a doctor. So um, that got her going. And she said, no, I'm not. I'm out. So now she makes like 10 percent of the you know, money she used to make, if that. So she gave that all up because she thought the truth was more important than prestige and position and money. But that doesn't happen often. So even if there are people that know something is not correct, they'll still do it anyway because, you know, they got a mortgage, they got kids, they got college, they got they got to do this, got to do that. And, uh, you know, I just won't give vaccines to my, my, my family, but I'm going to still do it at the office kind of thing. So, um, you know, you want to get along. People want to get along. That's what it comes down to. 
everybody else was doing it. I got to do it. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. And pe- people always say, you know, well, why would why would everybody do this? You know, why would they all be in on it? Well, it's like the you know it's tied it's, it's to their group, financial situation and yeah, it's group mentality. Once yeah. you get enough people doing the same thing, it's like everybody's going to do it. Absolutely, it could be anything from uh you know silly hats like they had in the 1800s. Everybody's wearing these hats with these feathers. <laughs> um, and there was a big industry of milliners putting all these feathers into hats and. And it was a big, big, it was a big trend. I mean, it's not the same thing as vaccines. If only but... that was our problem, Roman, you know, silly <laughs> but hats. People go along with trends. They, <laughs> they believe what everybody else is doing is right. So, yeah, right. And that's kind of a silly example, but people follow along with what other people are doing. Yeah, definitely do. Okay. So we got Milner here. Or what's his name? John Stuart Mill. Sorry. John Stuart Mill. Yeah. Yeah. And then here's another quote. Um, which kind of leads to what we were talking about. Or majorities are never proof of the truth. And uh, this is Hodwin, who was a you know, a regular old doctor until he went in to look into vaccines. And then the only vaccine back then really was the smallpox vaccine. And he found it to be very wanting for, you know, any kind of proof. And so he became you know, quite outspoken about it. There's, there's quite a number of doctors, when you actually go look at the history, that were against uh, the so-called smallpox vaccination. They found it not to work and dangerous, but that, you know, the, they were more or less ignored, even though there was dozens and dozens of these guys. It wasn't just like one or two. It was quite a few number. It was yeah. quite a large number. Yeah, I've looked at some of that old old literature. There's even books written on it. What is it? One like The Poison Needle, I think there's a book called. That's much later. That's in the 1950s. I oh, think. is it? Okay. But yeah, there was quite a like, there, there was were, always an anti-vax group, right? Well, that, that that started right from the beginning. That started the same year Jenner came out with his uh, you know, idea of uh, taking pus from a cow and scratching onto your arm to protect you. Hmm. Um, so there was quite a few people that were against it right from the beginning. And then there were people against it throughout the 1800s. And then there was quite a few doctors. Uh, Hadwin was one of them, Crichton a bunch of them that wrote books that were very, very critical uh, on vaccination. And they, they cited lots of information showing that this is not what you think it is. So there, there were, there's tons of doctors and uh, I have some quotes from them too. So Um, yeah, there, there were, there were a lot of those guys saying, Hey, this is not right. Uh, I forgot which one said, Hey, this is, this is so ridiculous that eventually this is just going to go away. I think it was Crichton. This is going to be a, a footnote in medical history. And it's going to be like, ha, huh, that was really weird. Why would, why do we do that? Just like bloodletting, you know, why, why do we do that? That's so ridiculous, <laughs> but it, it stayed, it has staying power, this yeah. idea. And uh, it's still around and it's a very profitable idea. As you probably imagine with Pfizer's oh, yeah. just made a killing uh, yeah. making up these concoctions. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. And people don't really fact that that's the craziest thing for me is like, people don't factor that in. I mean, you have these, you, you have big pharma they kind of forgot that who they're dealing with, right? <clears throat> big pharma is behind this, you know, known convicted criminals who have paid out record mm-hmm. numbers uh, of money, uh, you know, for damages and whatnot. And, you know, somehow they're trying to keep you safe and healthy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I don't think you get healthy from something that you inject into yourself or something that 
you take as a medication to compensate for something that's disbalanced in your body. Right. Um, most of the time, those are not really making you healthier. They're just compensating for some symptoms. Absolutely. So it's like, yeah. oh, let me lower your cholesterol or do this or do that. And those, those aren't really making you healthier. What's happened is we're using those simple, you know, fixes to compensate for poor lifestyle more than anything else, which that's yeah. a difficult thing to accept that maybe I should exercise, get sunshine and eat right and have a healthy day, you know, have a nice day um, to make yourself pretty healthy. That's where most of it goes. That's how you get healthy. You don't get healthy by, you know, taking tons and tons of medications. As a matter of fact, I just knew somebody who was quite ill. She, she was healthy for a long time, el- 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 elder person. Mm-hmm. And she got onto all these meds from this cardiologist who's a nice guy. He means well, because I, I listened to him. But uh, she was just about near death. And using with another doctor who was a doctor, but she's turned alternative a bit because her, her relative died from medications. Uh, that's what she said. And uh, so we got her off some of these meds and added a whole bunch of nutrients and diet. And very shortly she turned around from near death to just, just fine. So it was a dramatic change. So, you know, you have these cases where um, these medications are causing, you know, mass destruction, but they're, they're just not talked about. As a matter of fact, if you look at the medical literature, I think it was in 2016 in the British Medical Journal, um, there was a, an article published, 251,000 people die every year from medical error. Oh, yeah. And that's not the only one. There's other studies that talk about it, but they're just they're just not kept, you know, they're just ignored more or less. It's the third one really challenges death, right? I'm sorry, what? It's the third leading cause of death, right? Some people think it's it maybe the first. Yeah, well, yeah, death is a bit more complicated than we've made it. But yeah, it's a contributing factor to a lot of deaths. And um, it's just ignored. And the CDC doesn't keep track of medical error. You got to keep, you know, so they don't keep track. There's no, oh, let's keep track of medical error. They just don't. They keep track of heart disease, cancer, and these other things, but they don't keep track of medical error. So you have no idea that medical error, they don't, no one really knows what the the real statistic is because no one keeps track of it. So they're just studies that look at this and it's like, it's not good, but no one really pays attention to it because it's not kept track of it by the CDC who should be keeping track of this stuff, but they just can't be bothered. Right. They don't. I think people are oblivious to it too. I mean, if you look at COVID, you know, the, the things that that were and probably still are happening in hospitals, you know, especially at the beginning, though, during that spike, at least here in New York City, uh, there was a brief uh, death spike. They were throwing people on ventilators and wondering why they were dying. You know, they were putting people on toxic drugs. I mean, they used fentanyl for uh, for the ventilators and propofol. You know, that's the stuff that killed Michael Jackson. Um, you know, so and then they they're just kind of oblivious to it like that. They, they wonder why they do these things to people, you know, remdesivir, and then they die. And they say, oh, well, they died, they died of COVID. I don't know why people are still dying. Well, I mean, you know, it's all a matter of definition. So no one dies from one thing like, oh, you died from a heart, you know, heart disease. Well, why did you have heart disease? What, what were your vitamin D levels? What yeah. was your diet like? Were you obese? All these things that you've done throughout your entire life influence how you die. 
But at the very end, there's a checkbox that someone checks off. Mm -hmm. Why did you die? And you go, oh, well, he's got heart disease. We'll check off heart disease. So that's where you get these statistics from. But it's not it's not it's not real. It's just your end point. Why did you get to that point? It's not because you just suddenly were, you know, a healthy person running along and all of a sudden your heart developed a disease and you just dropped dead. It's, it's a process and it starts before birth and it goes through your entire life. So all the choices you make positive or negative all impact you and they can be nutritional, you know, exercise, emotional. So if you go through all these different things in your life, they all contribute to why you're getting sick and eventually die. Everybody eventually dies, but how do you, you know, what happens throughout your life is affects how you die and how you feel throughout your whole life. But right. it's not these simplistic statistics that we use, yeah. I think. But, and, you know, coincidentally, the people they say died of supposed COVID were, were this like 90 something percent obese. There was a high rate of obesity. Well, there was that. And there was also in one study, they talked about people who I think it was either died or got sick. I think it was died. Um, a certain percentage had fear and anxiety related disorders. So if you're terrified and you're, you know, you're, you think you're going to die, that's going to have a major impact on you. Right. So that's another, it's psycholo- psychological. Yeah, absolutely. Plus people are doing things to you. You don't know what they're really doing. You're just believing what they're doing is you know beneficial to you, but you don't really know what they're doing. And maybe they don't even know what they're doing. They're just giving a protocol to try things. Right. So, yeah. And the definition of COVID is kind of silly anyway, right? So if you, so here you are, you have a, a person, you do a test on them using a PCR test that looks for RNA fragments. They replicate those RNA fragments X number of times, and you're not supposed to be over like 25, but they usually do something like 30 to 40 or 43, I think, something along those lines. So you're replicating the most minuscule amount of RNA. Right. So let's say there's a virus because some people say there is and some people say there isn't. But you're replicating this fragment of RNA. And if you test positive, which this is not a test, it's never meant to be a test. It's a manufacturing technique, but they call it a test. If you test positive, even at a high cycle count, that's why you die. Or that's why you're sick. Well, that's insane. What, what are your vitamin D levels? Uh, are you stressed? Are you obese? All these other factors, mm-hmm. they're all ignored. As soon as you hit that COVID checkbox, that's why you died. Mm-hmm. And in an extreme case, I don't know if these are all true, but I had a friend who said they were uh, they died on a motorcycle and they still checked him off as COVID because he had tested positive. Yeah. You know, how many of the, the, these statistics are somewhat meaningless? You can't have a test, which is a manufacturing technique, that you check off on a box and because you have that check mark, that's why you died. That that's <laughs> that's like basically insane. Is there an autopsy performed? Why didn't you know? Why did the person really die? Apparently not. From what I understand, it's just simply the checkbox tells you how you died. Yeah. I, this is just you know mind-bogglingly crazy. And then uh, in my mind, and on top of that, they're financially incentivized to hit that checkbox, right? Yeah, I've heard that. Thousand, I've heard that. Oh, I don't yeah. know that firsthand. Yeah, yeah thousands of dollars they were getting yeah for ventilators and a a covid diagnosis right um you know people you know if there was there was a study i think is in i can't remember 
where the study was. And they, they looked at um, the amount of secondary hospital infections versus vitamin D levels. The people that had very low vitamin D levels had a higher rate of secondary infections. If they had optimal, which was like 15 nanograms per milliliter, it dropped by 95%. So you can see this curve going down. The higher the vitamin D levels, the less likely you had a secondary infection. So is you know is the person having this so-called secondary infection or being ill because of some kind of microbe, or is it because they have you know horrible vitamin D levels? You know, looking at that data, you would call it vitamin D deficiency problem, but we don't look at it that way because we're all microbe focused. So the only thing we think of is the microbe. So there's a lot of factors that make you sick. And we just like to say, well, it's just, it's just this virus or it's just this cholesterol or something like that. And, that. and I think these are very simplistic models that have no basis in reality. Right. I think it's a lot of different things that all kind of, um, you know, end up being what is acidosis or, you know, an over acidified and toxic environment in your body. You're no longer in balance and things like vitamin D are indicators of, of that. That's just one more, that's just one marker. Yeah. Um, yeah. If, if you if you grew up uh, poor and you were abused and you turned into alcoholism and you smoked a lot and all these other factors that, you know, come together so that when you're older, you're not well. All these things have an, an effect. If you grew up, you know, relatively in a great place and you were happy and you ate well and you didn't smoke and you didn't drink and you kept your weight down, you exercised and had nice relationships, you're probably going to be doing pretty good. You're probably going to be healthy, right? So these things all matter, but we just, we have this very, I don't know, almost like three-year-old kind of mentality about checking out boxes and telling people that's why you died. That's just the end point. It's not, it's not all, it's a lot of factors is my point. Yeah. All right, let's continue with this. uh, Yeah. We only got through two slides. Yeah. yeah, Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Feel free to just run through them. Don't, don't worry about me. Okay. Um, I like this. uh, This guy's a, was a brilliant guy. And he said, I would rather question have questions that can't be answered than answers that can't be questioned. And that's where we are with uh, vaccines today. It's you can't question vaccines. They're safe and effective. And the herd, the media, doctors, uh, anybody, they don't spend the time to explain to you anything. They simply call you a name. They intimidate you. They get angry. I know quite a few parents where the doctor would just suddenly like a three-year-old throw a tantrum and throw stuff around and slam the papers down and throw the pen and, and do these and be outraged. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's, that's how three-year-olds behave, but this is how people actually really behave in the real world. They don't go, well, let's cover the, you know, the evidence and discuss it together. That doesn't happen. Apparently maybe it does sometimes, but not to the parents I've talked to the, uh, the pediatrician or the doctor, they become enraged. Yeah, it's it's like such a it's such a trigger point, but it's an effective technique because people then get intimidated. They they get afraid. They're they're they feel like they're a bad person. And so that and name calling um, and of course, the monkey see monkey do attitude really keeps everybody in line. It it works quite well. It's so, very scary. The, yeah. The- so but you so you can't ask questions. It's not possible. 
mm-hmm. because the environment is anti-questioning. It's this is the way it is. Here it is. Here's the answer. Don't question it. And uh, that's not a good society to have. And you should be able to debate anything you want without you know resorting to these kind of childish name calling, which. When I was growing up, I thought, gee, when you grow up, you get to be an adult and get to behave in a normal way. You don't call each other names like you do on the playground. Well, that's just simply not true. We do it all the time. Adults do it more probably than kids. <laughs> we tell yeah. kids, don't bully other people. That's naughty. That's don't bully. Don't bully other people. And then everybody ends up bullying each other. It's, it's you know, with Facebook and Twitter, they're bullying each other all the time. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not it's not a mature society when you do that. The lack of civil discourse or ability to have civil discourse is one of the most frightening things, I think. And, you know, we're leading down this path where no one will be able to talk about anything. And they sort of like, you know, they create these pejoratives like like anti-vaxxer, you know, to stop conversations from happening sure. because it's it, like it, it, right. it's a wall that you can put up. So you don't you're like, oh, this person's a stupid anti-vaxxer. And that's that. There's no need for a civil discourse beyond this point. Right. It's it's a way to put somebody down. I mean, you can. I, I always use this example. You can call them a poopy head. So you're you're a stupid poopy head, and I don't have to talk to you. It's the same thing. Yep. It doesn't. It has no meaning. Anti-vaxxer has no real meaning except to put somebody down. So uh, yeah. So I I, th- I think everybody should just call everybody poopy head, and then we'll be able to get it out of our system. So many <laughs> so, poopy heads, Roman. I can't even right. tell you. Everybody's a poopy head, and uh, can we get that out of our three-year-old system and move on to intellectual, you know, conversations? That would be nice. <laughs> but uh, so far, that hasn't happened. And yeah. you know, this this notion of calling people names has been codified by the media. It's politicians use it, and they use it. Some I've seen politicians like screaming anti-vaxxer, and you know, all yeah. all wired up and stuff like that. And they're all freaked out and stuff. Not that you know, we should listen to any politicians. They generally aren't that the brightest bunch. <laughs> Um, they just repeat what they've been told. Um, it, we got to get beyond just name calling. It's, it's silly. And nobody but, wants but to, it's effect. you know, what's safe, you know, what's effective is name calling. Name calling is really effective. <laughs> yeah. But nobody wants to be an anti-vaxxer, right? Nobody wants to be like anti the majority. It's not a fun place to be. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, if we're on this side of the fence, there are good reasons. You know, nobody wakes up and they're just like, yeah, I think I'll go against like the mainstream entirely. And like, you know, no one I know started out as a poopy head. I mean, (laughs) anti-vaxxer. Nobody started out that way. It's when they went to look at stuff. Yeah. Uh, that they had a problem or their ch- child was damaged right after. Yeah. And the, the, the knee jerk reaction is like, it couldn't be that that's impossible. Therefore we just discount it and then we'll attack you. I know parents who were, had their kids severely damaged and they're immediately attacked that they suggested it was right after the vaccine. So they got a double whammy first, their kids damaged. And then the, the, the doctors and medical profession are like, Oh, you're a horrible parent for even suggesting that. And so they're attacked for doing that too. So you can't even, so here comes back to this quote. You're not allowed to say, well, could it have been the vaccine? You're not allowed to ask that question. Hmm. That's, you're not, that's naughty. You can't do that. If it was something on their side, they would be like, oh, that's victim blaming. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, it comes back to, you shouldn't bully people, which I agree with. You shouldn't bully people. I mean, maybe you can like when you're, you're just like in a comedy setting, you're just goofing around. 
You shouldn't go around calling people names. I mean, that's intellectually stunted. You're, you're emotionally damaged if you're going around calling people poopyhead. Come on. That's that's a little silly. Yeah, agree. I mean, it, it's okay if you're doing it in fun, but if you're actually serious, maybe you should kind of uh, re-examine how you behave. It's a little ridiculous. Well, it's an easy way to to swap out the need for, you know, intellect and uh and like information to to rebut. Yeah, so 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 a lot of people that I've encountered over the many many years. <laughs> it's a lot of years actually by now, which is kind of funny because it feels like yesterday. But uh if you I usually don't talk about this with most people because I just it just if they're interested fine, if they're not that's fine too. It's you know personal choice. Mm-hmm. I'll talk to them and they'll sometimes they'll get really angry and they just parrot things that they've heard. They don't really know what they're talking about. And then when you ask them questions, they get very upset because they don't know the answer. So they feel like they're cornered. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm not trying to corner you. I just want to understand why you think what you think. And they just, they just don't want to. They don't know because they're programmed. Yeah. Well, you don't, I mean, if you, I think I find most things, if you haven't done a lot of research on it, you know, how do you really know something? You have to kind of really dig into it. Yeah. Uh, or you can just pair it with other people say. I think a well, lot that's what a it lot is mainly going on. It's parroting mainly most of the time. They they have no idea why they believe what they believe. They've just been programmed by mainstream media to to say those things and you know, then it becomes part of their own ideology because it's just been implanted there. You know? Yeah, and I think we'll cover that a little and not that many slides up. Um okay. medical journals that were Studies that were written in medical journals are contributed to this ideology quite quite a lot because they cherry pick data. We'll cover that. It's quite evident. It's cherry pick data. Okay. It's, it's it's not hard to see once you point it out. Right. But um, doctors basically probably read all these studies and said, "Oh, oh, this is great. This is the greatest invention ever. Why would I ever question it? You must be an idiot if you think that you don't follow the program." So, so. We look at data, right? So in, if you look at the vital statistics and you can get this data and I'll show you in a minute how to get that data. You can go find it yourself. If you put the same data into spreadsheets yourself, you will get the same charts. I've done this dozens of times. Uh, there's even a place on the CDC that has the exact same chart. It's in a vital statistics report. So it's the same chart I came up with. So this data is 100% correct. And so when you see this chart, it's uh, you can make your own determination. You know, there's a question. So why don't you know this data? That's a question. And then why did this happen in the first place? That's another question. Those two questions, you you know, you may never have thought of. But here, let me show you the chart. Okay. So this is. Deaths per 100,000 for measles. So this U.S. started in 1900 collecting data, and this chart goes up to 1968. And you can see that um, in 1963, they started to vaccinate for measles. By that point, you've already had a 98, over 98% decline in mortality. So the question is, why don't you know that? Why didn't your pediatrician tell you that? Why doesn't the CDC tell you that? Why doesn't the National Health Health, uh, Service tell you this? They don't tell you this. You don't know this. You should know this because this should impact how you feel about measles. 
And then the other question is, why did it decline in the first place? It wasn't the vaccine. That's not possible unless the vaccine time travels, which it doesn't. They have never claimed that. So why did it decline almost 100% before a vaccine? Then you ask yourself, well, is the vaccine really necessary if the mortality rate dropped like a rock? So by the 1960s, measles was considered relatively, for the most part, a minor disease. So again, here you have the chart. It's real data from the government. And I have yet anybody to explain this from anybody I've ever talked to. No one can explain it. So, and I think we should challenge, people should take these charts, bring them to their pediatrician, bring them to the CDC, bring them to your public health official and say, can you explain why I don't know this? Can you explain this massive decline before vaccines? And most people will not know that this is true even though this is government data, because this government data is basically ignored for the most part. And do you have a theory on why it may have declined? Yeah, we'll get to that. Okay. All right. Cool. <laughs> it has to do with um, your, has to do with personal health and societal health. Why? Because what you'll see in all these charts, all so-called infectious diseases, all of them, uh, whooping cough, Scarlet fever, measles, uh, even smallpox all declined. Mortality rates all declined at the same time from the late 1800s into the mid-1900s. They all went down, 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 down till near zero, all of them. So you have to say, well, why did they all decline at the same time without any vaccine? Some of them had no vaccines. So it had to be something else. Yeah. And what you had really is a shift in societal health from horrible to basically much better by the 1950s and 60s. So here's a, uh, a zoom in of that same chart near the end. There were two measles vaccines, one in 63, which turned out not to be very good, and one in 1967. And you see in this chart, that's the mortality again, kind of zoomed in there's barely any kind of impact from the vaccine on mortality. The trend line shows it would have declined to near zero anyway. There's not really much of an impact. Hmm. Now, again, um, the CDC in 1960, well, CDC it was the U.S. Vital Statistics, there was a chart published in the 1960s version, uh, edition, and there's the chart that they had in that, and it's... I'll show you where it's located. You can look it up yourself. But that chart is the same chart I came up with. So the data is exactly the same. They had the this chart in the vital statistics, but no one really paid attention to it. Apparently. Wow. Um, so if you go to dissolvingillusions.com, there's a tab there for charts. You can go down to this chart that I was just presenting, and you can look up all these different references to form the same chart. So you can look these up, get the data, throw them in a spreadsheet yourself, and you'll generate the same chart. Or if you want to shortcut it, go to this link, the CDC gov. <clears throat> so this is on the CDC website, this vital statistics report, go to page 85. And there you go, you'll see the same chart. So this is not made up data. This is exact government, Official data. 
And that's just for people listening, uh, cdc.gov slash nchs uh, slash data slash vsus slash vs rates 1940 underscore 60 dot pdf. Right. Yeah. So yeah, so you can go right there, get the get the PDF, go to page eighty five, and you'll see this chart, and you'll see a bunch of other charts, and you'll see in this uh, in this slide, you can see a bunch of other uh, diseases, diphtheria, dysentery, flu, all decline were declining during the same time period. Yep, you can see the rapid rapid decline before <clears throat> any vaccines introduced. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> the U.S. started gathering data in 1900, but England was way ahead of the curve. They started in 1838. So they were gathering statistics in 1838. So when you look at their data, you're going to see that measles was a big killer in the 1800s, but starting in the late 1800s into the 1900s, it just became like not an issue. It just, you can see this big curve going down and here we go. Here comes the show. So killing between 40 and 70 per 100,000 down to almost zero, a 99% decline, almost 100% decline in mortality by the time they introduced the vaccine. Hmm. It's not, it, it's stunning how much was already accomplished before vaccination was available. That's interesting. It's, I wonder, you know, what else is going on to make measles, you know, a fatal thing and because when you listen to more recent stories about measles it's like oh we had a great time we stayed home from school and like it cleared up in a week or something that would have been in the 50s and 60s by that point measles was just kind of like oh you went through a few days maybe you had a fever uh so you didn't feel good most of the time you got through just fine uh but in the 1800s life was not so nice uh, there was a uh, horrible environment it was polluted. People were worked basically to death. Children were working in mines and, and factories as young as four or five years old. They had horrible food to eat. There was no refrigeration. There was not even ice boxes by that point. So you got food and it just sat around and it rotted and you ate that because you had nothing else to eat. Your water supply you drank from was the same thing as your toilet. You know, you went out to the bathroom. Where did it go? You didn't have a toilet. You just threw it out the window and that would get mixed into your streams or your rivers. What are you going to drink? Well, the water from the streams and rivers. So you were drinking from toilets that were, you know, contaminated with human and animal waste, as well as all the factories, tanners and all these other uh, industries were dumping their waste into the water supply. So you're drinking that. Yeah. Uh, in the big cities like London, they were jam packed with um, tons of. Uh, coal burning all over the place. Houses were warm that way, industries. So you were breathing in basically like living in a chimney. You were breathing mm-hmm. in toxins all the time. You were overworked. You didn't have you know much of recreation or at all. You just you were just worked to death. And so you had all these different factors playing together, making health horrible. So people were dying from every con- condition you can think of. Yeah. But once you started cleaning all that up, all the mortality rates started to drop. You started having piped water. You start, electricity was a big thing. Now you can put your food in the refrigerator. Started out with the ice box and then later on refrigerators, right? Uh, labor laws came into place, child labor laws. You know, we well, can't send the you know little Tommy to work in the mines when you're four years old. We're not going to allow that anymore. 
Um, so slowly that changed. So you weren't, you didn't have child labor. So whereas before you were poorly nourished, you were overworked as a child, you could be working in a factory and you got you know, measles. You kept working using with no food and, you know, no care at all. And they died. They all frequently died on the sun somewhere while they're working. So it was, it was, it was, a, it was a dreadful time for the poor and the working class to live. And a lot of that changed. It shifted, you know, dramatically, as you can see by these charts. Mm -hmm. Um, Sorry, in in my own research, too, I noticed that, like, you know, lack of sanitation is a big, a big thing when you when you kind of really look into this stuff. um, You see that there was a lot of uh, lack of sanitation. There was uh, you know, starvation, maybe, you know, I looked into like Ebola and, you know, in the West Bank um, and, you know, they, they pick these, these places often because they have, they already have underlying issues like that. And so when you're looking for a, for a reason it, that that's usually a big one. Yeah. So uh, mortality rate in, let's say just sticking with measles yeah. and they look at it, uh, if you're a healthy person, measles has a very, very, very low mortality rate. But if you're starving to death and you're malnourished and you're protein deficient somewhere in Africa, well, then you have a high mortality rate, like 200 times more. Mm-hmm. Why? So is it really about a microbe or is it about the health of the person? Right. Right. And that's what we changed over, you know, from the late 1800s into the mid 1900s. By the time you got to 1950s, 60s, people were relatively quite healthy. Uh, even into the 1970s. Now it's kind of reversing direction, I think, because people are getting less and less healthy. But that was kind of our peak of being healthy as a as a people in a society. I find that a lot of people have the opposite view of that time period too, which is weird. Like they think we we're the most unhealthy for some reason. And I think people were like frying eggs and butter and stuff like for breakfast. And Well, in the 1800s, you were lucky what you got. So again, no refrigeration. So if you got some meat, who knows how long it's been sitting? No, I'm in, in the fifties, sixties. Oh yeah, well yeah. by then you were doing pretty good compared to the eighteen hundreds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, here's a zoom in of that same chart uh, with the trend line. You can see measles vaccine, nineteen sixty eight. There's virtually no no impact on mortality rate. Contrary to what you're like beaten up about that you know we had measles and then we have the vaccine and now people don't die from measles this is simply not true most of it was already gone so when people tell you that it's not true it's it's the data shows you it's not true it's not me the data is clear so it's just a myth that people have been repeating but it's not just about measles. So we can look at whooping cough. There's whooping cough or pertussis. They call it pertussis too. Mm-hmm. So you can see in the beginning of the 1900s in the U.S., it was a bigger killer. And then by the time they came out with the vaccine in the late 1940s, it had already gone down over 90%. Wow. Same thing. And it's like, why did that happen? And why don't I know this? Right. Same question. So this is just another disease. So maybe in the early 1900s, people would get that <gasps> whooping kind of cough, and then they would, you know, basically die from that and fever and all that. But by the 1940s, it had declined quite a bit. 
by over 90%. Why is that? No one can answer that question. They should they should be able to answer it, but they don't. And now if we look at England, which again starts in 1838, we see something similar to measles. We have a high mortality rate in the 1800s, 50 to 60 to 70 per 100,000, down to 0.1, 0.1.2 per 100,000. By the time they started a national vaccine program in 1957. So you've already had almost 100% of the mortality handled by that point. And here's the question again. Why don't I know that? Why, why haven't we been told that? And, and I think I partially answered the question. Why did it go down? It wasn't because of a vaccine if it came in 1957. That's crazy. And here's another uh, interesting thing. So in the 70s, there was a big uh, panic about the uh, whooping cough vaccine because it was causing neurological damage, right? So I think they they came out with a uh, a documentary on the television, which they would never show today, uh, about damage from the whooping cough vaccine, right? D DTP. And so this chart shows you the total deaths is not normalized to deaths per 100,000. Uh, from 1900 to 2000, whatever. And you can see the national vaccine program, whooping cough vaccine, was 1957. By that point, the death rate was low already. Yeah, so the blue, yeah, the blue dotted line shows vaccination coverage, which dipped in the 1970s. But what you don't see is, because it was already near zero anyway, deaths from whooping cough, you don't see some spike up when the whooping cough vaccine dropped there was no increase in death if it was it was so tiny you wouldn't even see it on this chart it was really tiny it didn't really matter so despite proclamations that you're all going to die if you stop vaccinating from whooping cough it was not true because that's what happened it dipped down quite a bit for quite a few years and there was no major resurgence of whooping cough deaths despite what people were you know basically saying that you're all going to die just not true. Now let's look at the trend line for whooping cough. Here's whooping cough, right? And again, if you don't know when the vaccine came into play, you wouldn't be able to tell because there's no big change. There's no big drop off anywhere. It's like, where did the vaccine come in? It's, you can't tell in this trend line. You would think it'd be like a line and it would drop off somewhere if the vaccine was like this greatest invention ever. No, it came in there where you cannot even tell when it came in. There's no effect on mortality rate. Yeah. Again, that's not, that's, that doesn't fit the, uh, the model. It doesn't fit the story. If this was any other product, you know, and people looked at this, you would right away be like, okay, these people are pulling a fast one. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like they're obviously taking credit for well, something else. This this has belief momentum. This has been around for centuries. So it has a, a particular, um, you know, I call it belief momentum. It's, it's believed by so many people for so long, it's got to be true. And, you know, the data shows the opposite, but it just, well, uh, I don't know what to do with that. That's, I can't believe that's true. Actually, I did that in the beginning. I was like, well, I must be wrong. <laughs> How could mm. this be so blatantly wrong? Yeah. But, um, you know, this is the data. Again, you can go to this, you know, look up the 
data yourself, put in a spreadsheet, you'll get the same chart. Yeah, I encourage everybody to do that. Yeah, everyone should. And then you should go ask your pediatrician, but not in a mean way. Say, here's here's this data I don't understand. Can you explain it to me? They'll probably get mad at you, but if you just <laughs> you know, just ask them. Yeah, print these out. Print them out. Uh, bring, bring they're all, your, they're uh, all available to... on dissolvingillusions.com. Print them out. Verify that the data is correct. And go ask people. Ask yep. your local CDC person, how come I don't know this? And why did this happen? And why am I vaccinating if this is true? They're not going to like you, but <laughs> but there's the data. It's it's not it's not secret data. This is all in public public domain. Anybody can get this. And that's the sad thing too is like you can show people you know in black and white what the deal is, and they'll still probably come up with some kind of like excuse because they're so brainwashed. You know they their well, their ideology has to be true. Their worldview has to be true. I understand that because in the beginning I sat there and thought I was wrong for a long time. I went over the data multiple times and I checked the spreadsheet and I did it again. And I looked at the pages and I looked again over and over again, because it's such a, it's so blatantly not true (laughs) that you're, you have to question yourself over and over and over again, because it just seems insane. How could so many people like not know this? Right. And this was uh, all no, sparked for you just from like wondering if you should give your kids vaccines. Like it was just. Yep. Okay. I was just curious. <laughs> wow. And uh, I had, I was listening to radio programs and reading, doing some reading, but I wasn't really like doing a lot of it because I had other things to do in my life and it wasn't like a big focus of mine. And then I read a little book by Neil Miller and he had a chart similar to the one I had for measles. And I thought the guy was full of crap. I was like, no way. This can't be true. The guy's probably just selling books or he's a lunatic. Until I went to a local library and I found some data points and it verified what he had, which then led me to the vital statistics so I could get all my data points and make sure I got real legit data. And then there it was. It was the same, you know, it was better detailed chart than his. But basically the same idea, you know, 95% plus decline in mortality before there was a vaccine. So, yeah, it just, if I never, if I hadn't run across that chart, I probably never would have gone down this path, but I did. So we can blame him for everything. <laughs> See what happens when you do research. Yeah. You find something and it's like, it, it, you can either just ignore it or you can like say, is this really true? And try to, you know, track, track it down. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've spent way too many too many um, hours in libraries, in medical libraries, and looking through data. And like, I got kind of obsessive. <laughs> oh, we're happy you did. <laughs> uh, we can look at another disease called diphtheria, and there it is. Uh, they had a vaccine introduced in 1920. How many people got this vaccine? There's no no one kept track of that kind of stuff. So it was introduced, but. Again, you can look at a trend line. There's really no change in diphtheria. It was going down steadily. There was a little spike up, actually, after the introduction, but who knows why that was. And then there's the flu. We always talk about the flu and the flu vaccine, right? So here's the flu. By the time they started vaccinating in the 1970s, we're already down 90%. Again, the question is, why don't you know that? 
And why did that happen? Wow. Why did we have 90%? You would think researchers would have been eager to go find out, well, we've, we got a 90% decline. What can we, what can we learn and how could we apply that to get rid of the last 10%? What could we do? Nah, we'll just start vaccinating. We'll just do vaccines because vaccines are great. We'll just do it that way. So they don't consider any other ideas. It just vaccines are just a go-to automatically. You don't have to actually think for any any other ideas. What what caused that decline? Well, well I don't care. Let's just do the vaccine. Right. The thing is, when I created this chart, they've been vaccinating for forty years, and here's a zoomed-in mortality rate. And you can see after 40 years, the mortality rate kind of went up and then went back down. But it's basically at the same level was when we started in 1970. There's been no improvement. The dotted blue line shows vaccination coverage in 65 and olders. And there it is. It's like, why are we still doing this? This is CDC data. <laughs> they know they should know this. They should they should have these charts on their front page. But of course, then people wouldn't vaccinate because they would look at this and like, wait a second, how come this is not working? But they're not looking at this. They don't reevaluate what they're doing. They just keep on doing the same thing over and over again, yeah. which to me is the definition of insanity. But okay. Yeah, it is. And this is something uh, millions of people still take every year. Well, because they're told it's a great idea. Yeah. But I remember. Yeah, you know, according to this data, it hasn't reduced mortality rate. So is it really that great? And why didn't we figure out what the first 90% decline was from? Have we looked at that? Nah, we, don't, we can't be bothered with that. We already have an idea. We already have, we have the same notion we use for everything else, which we also ignore that data too. So, oh, so anybody can download this spreadsheet from uh, the website. Uh, just go to that little additional sources, download the spreadsheet. It's got all the data points. You can go through them all. You can verify everything's correct and, uh, you know, draw your own conclusions. Yeah. There's some amazing stuff on the website. Definitely, uh, definitely recommend everybody check that out. Everything on the website is you use any which way you want, put it in pamphlets, make t-shirts, wear a hat. I don't care. It's, it's all for you to use. <laughs> just not a green one with a feather in it. Well, unless you really, <laughs> unless you really like it, um, we'll do another uh, example of a disease called scarlet fever, which was one of the big killers that you probably never heard about because there's no vaccine for it. Oh, I so do. it was a bigger killer than measles, whooping cough, or smallpox. It was a big, big one. A lot of people died from it. Yeah. Everyone knew somebody who died from scarlet fever. It was called the Fell Destroyer. There's a nice little chart for it. You can see on the, the deaths were between 40 and up to 160 per 100,000, which is way higher than measles or whooping cough. Um, and then by the time you got to the 1940s, it went to zero. No vaccine. And it's, it's perfectly fine. No one worries about scarlet fever these days, do they? Unless, of course, the media decides it's something they should be afraid of and they'll start talking about it again. Right. So scarlet fever is not considered a problem. There was no vaccine. Why? Why don't we have a vaccine for scarlet fever? Why did it decline? No one seems to, you know, no one in all these medical journals I ever read said, well, why didn't scarlet fever go away? Oh, 
don't know. Just kind of just like that. I don't think anybody's ever even looked at the data. Virtually nobody has. There's there's been a few exceptions, but it's generally no, just oh, scarlet fever. No, it doesn't it doesn't happen anymore? So we're okay. Well, I'm not and, super familiar. What what are the symptoms of scarlet fever? Like what made it? Uh, you know, well, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know the details actually, but the, you know. would get this red redness, especially on your trunk. Um, high fever. I don't. I don't recall all the symptoms right now. Interesting. Okay. But big killer in eighteen hundreds, nineteen hundreds. Uh, not much to worry about. Um, gonna pick out another example of measles. This is in France. They introduced the vaccine in nineteen sixty six. Um, there's there's always some gaps in these charts because you can't get all the data, but. Um, so they introduced in 1966, the death rate was already low, like every other example I've shown you. By 1983, their their vaccination rate was less than 20%. So it wasn't a high vaccination rate even by then. In 1989, it was around 40%. But we we're basically at zero already. <laughs> so by the time, you know, this 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 mantra that everybody has to be vaccinated, we're all gonna die. It's just plain wrong. It's not true. It's it's made up. It's it's a fear based kind of mantra that gets people in line, and it's either done because people don't know or because they know they can manipulate you with fear. But the data shows something completely different. It's not it's not true at all. You don't have to be afraid of these things. There are other ways to handle these system, uh, you know conditions. Vitamin and in the case of measles, vitamin A and vitamin C were tremendous. It's you could you wouldn't have much of a problem at all. Doctor Klenner used to do that quite often. Measles is not a problem if you had large doses of vitamin C and make sure your vitamin A levels were fine. There's no issue. And get them from food. That's the best. Well, thing. yeah, but back then it was you know he basically had supplements or I, I guess cod liver oil was the big thing. Well, look into supplements. I don't know if you're familiar. I did actually an episode with Daniel Reutis on that. Who you, who you know. Um, yeah. and, oh, it's amazing. The stuff you'll find on, on, vitamins. uh, you know, supplements is a wide scope, you know, kind of a big term. Right. Yeah. But, uh, back then they would have used cod liver oil, right. Or, mm. or vitamin, uh, a vitamin A and D. So that was just basically yeah. squished up, you know, cod liver. <laughs> so mm-hmm. sure. it tasted like garbage. Right. <laughs> but, um, no, that helped your system, helped your system quite a bit. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, healthy food is the the, the main key, right? Absolutely. Well, at least yeah. as far as that end goes, there's also de-stressing, so you're not all panicked about everything, stressing yeah. your whole system. Lots of sunshine, exercise, you know, all these things. Yeah. And the, mind, the mind connection, the mind-body connection is something very much overlooked. I've talked about that a lot. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Definitely. I think they, they know that, you know, that's why they stressed everybody out, um, you know, before this last... Uh, well, yeah, that 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 would have been a big factor in, yeah. you know, death and panic. And you know, I'd like to point out the media and various politicians are responsible for lots of death and destruction because yes. you panicked a whole planet. You panicked so many people into total, you know, distress, destroying lives, destroying economies, and you didn't have to handle it that way at all. Not at all, but you just followed, you know, follow just a small number of people who said this is a great idea. Of course, you know, a lot of people made lots of money, but you know, the 
death and destruction from this this insanity is crazy yeah yeah they they need to be held accountable um it's crazy what they did i i did a video maybe last year actually on um on mass or co2 inhalation and how uh breathing in co2 can actually like exacerbate your fear memories which i thought was really interesting never heard of that that's interesting yeah i'll I'll send it to you sometime um but i thought that was really interesting like you know maybe it makes you wonder like you know do they know the the repercussions of of some of these things you know no i don't think they do i don't so I read a lot of the mask studies from the 70s because they were trying to figure out if they could prevent the flu with the masks. So they they looked at that. They also looked at uh, surgical versus N95 yeah. and uh, even masks during surgeries, right? None of these studies showed any benefit from this. Yeah. So even during surgeries, they thought, well, yeah, this is obviously going to be a good idea. They didn't even find it useful there. Right. It's it's crazy. So it never stopped the flu. There was no difference between N95 and surgical. Yet, it didn't matter because it's all about belief and repeating some kind of idea. And uh, it's it's crazy because it, it didn't work. Yeah. So why would it work now? Oh, I don't know, because we have nothing else to tell people to do. So let's let's do that. <laughs> Yeah, it's so it's such a brain dead thing. We've talked about this before, but um, yeah, the fact that people are still wearing that stuff. I mean, there's four decades of of science on this. You know, from the poor size of the mask being like something like sixty to a hundred times the size of what a viral particle is supposed to be, which of course they've never found uh, in nature yeah. or bodily fluids. Um, yeah, and people just still wear them. You know, eyes open, ears under germ theory. Yeah. Our pathways doesn't yeah, matter. Cloth, yeah, cloth mask is like a chain link fence to keep out mosquitoes out of your yard. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. Well, it could keep one out, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're lucky. I mean, it just it's 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 crazy stuff. But yeah, it at a high level, it seems like it's a good idea because you're not spreading you know gooey stuff everywhere. <laughs> it doesn't really work. Well, that's it's the never only been shown function, really. Like I, I have a friend, Jordan Grin. He's told me he, he's a he's a surgeon. And he's told me, like, the only reason I wear a mask, dude, is so I don't get, like, blood and stuff, like, in my mouth. Like, that kind of gooey stuff, sure, makes sense, you know? Um, and then he takes well, it off, and that's it. Well, yeah, so they would use masks during surgeries, but they only used them during the surgeries. They didn't wear them all day long. That's right. that's crazy talk. Yeah. You know, this is not the first time people have been crazy, so. Yeah. But people uh, always, a- that's, that's one thing I still uh, hear a lot. Sorry to interrupt you. Um, is like, well, they why do they wear them in surgeries then? You know, but it was never intended for like viruses. <clears throat> it was always like, you know. Well, they uh, they uh, stopped using them. I forget in I forget what year in Sweden or Norway or someplace because they looked at the data and didn't do anything. So you, there's pictures of them having surgeries with no masks because yeah, yeah. they determine it doesn't do anything. But it's yeah, a psychological like thing. You try to take off your mask during surgery, and people see that they're gonna freak out. Because they think you're going to like kill them. It's yeah. apparently not true. No. But it's not about evidence-based medicine, which is always a term thrown around. It's about belief systems. That's yeah. what's more important. It's just this ritual. A lot of germ theory is just like rituals that nobody dares to question. Yeah, because again, it's the monkey see, monkey do. You don't want to look different, mm-hmm. right? Right. There's a zoom in of that um, branch chart. So you can see that, you know, 
that the vaccine rates were really low and it was near zero anyway for mortality rate. Uh, so, yeah, we get back to this whole idea, and it's been around for a long time, that there's a germ somewhere, which is the reason you get a disease and or die. And so the only answer is a vaccine because you have to stop the germ from causing the disease. This is the very uh, primitive equation that all these diseases fall into. It doesn't matter if you're young, old, sick, uh, have low vitamin D levels or stressed, you're obese. None of that matters because we just have to follow this equation. There's nothing else you have to think about. Which, of course, we've seen by these charts is not true because mortality rates dropped like a rock. Mm -hmm. If it was true, if it was true, the green line is reality for, let's say, measles. The yellow line is the fantasy that the vaccine took care of everything. The yellow line means it would have stayed high and deaths would have been horrible until they introduced the vaccine and then it would have dropped. It, that is a fantasy. It's not real. That's the fantasy of the, that equation. And it's, I don't know how to say it, but it's just not real. The data shows it's not real. If it was real, it would be the yellow line, which is what I expected to see when I actually looked at data when I started. But no, the reality is the green line. Plummeting <laughs> rates before the vaccine, not at the introduction of the vaccine. Which anybody looking at this is probably shocked because it's crazy. It's crazy because it doesn't go along with any of the thing you might have previously thought. Right. It's shocking. And then there's, you know, there's so many articles they publish with just like BS and people take those as gospel. Yeah, we're going to get to the uh, why studies are not always what you think they should be. Okay. Um, here's all the diseases kind of all clumped together. Um, the big killers were tuberculosis and the flu, much more than, you know, measles or whooping cough. Yeah. There's a, so you, there's a big 1918 so-called flu pandemic there with the big spike. Um, there's another zoomed in kind of um, look at these various diseases when things were introduced. Sometimes you get comments like, well, it's because of penicillin. Well, penicillin wasn't really used in the 1940s. So that's well after things were way down in the first place. There was really very little impact, which is hard to accept. The very little impact that medicine had on life expectancy and on these diseases. Very little. Wow. And some people estimate like 3% or something like that. Medicine has not done that much as much as clean water and electricity and school systems and labor laws and all these things coming together. That's what really made the difference. That's amazing. Penicillin. And then um, <clears throat> this is, uh, again, England starts their statistics in 1838. You can see the uh, big red death spikes there from scarlet fever. Um, and so these are all the various diseases and you can see they all just plummet down. So by the time you get to the 1950s, it's like, they're all basically at zero, all of them at the same time, more or less. Wow. That's very telling. Yeah. It's, it's, it's beyond crazy that, um, 
various historians didn't look at this and say, hey, this was the greatest health revolution in human history from the 1800s into the 1900s. The Western world was transformed from disease-ridden squalor to, wow, this is, we got a pretty good got a pretty good life here in the in the 50s 60s and 70s but uh, almost nobody looked <laughs> and that's where we get to uh germ theory versus terrain theory oh yeah and all these charts show that the terrain is what's important there could be a germ and maybe the germ does something or maybe it does nothing because there's arguments people argue back and forth about that in the well it in doesn't the, in this arena yeah well it doesn't well viruses don't exist i know that yeah but let's say there is let's say there's a microbe it still is not that important compared to compared to the you know you have a healthy tank if you have a dirty filthy tank which is what the 1800s were like you were in trouble you would get sick from one way or another but Mm -hmm. if you have a clean tank and you got good food and you got nice plants and you have a nice day then you're going to be fine So now I want to cover a couple of the studies that anybody can download and look at. And uh, just because they're peer-reviewed doesn't mean data wasn't cherry-picked or things weren't you know slanted in their conclusions. I like this cartoon. I think it's funny. Um, so we're going to look at a, a study in the journal Pediatrics, really significant study. Uh, what year was it? 1988. And so this is the first paragraph. And they say five to 10,000 people used to die, and now only five to 10 do. Right. And so doctors are busy. So they might have read this study, but they probably just, you know, skimmed it or read the first paragraph. And if you read this, you would say, oh, well, we used to have lots of deaths every year. Now we don't. You'd have to be an idiot not to vaccinate. So they're they're telling you right from the get-go in this article. It's a long study. There's a lot of stuff in it. The first paragraphs are telling you vaccine vaccines changed it from five to ten thousand down to five to ten. You'd have to be insane not to vaccinate, right? But as we saw in the charts, it was already declining. So even though the five to ten thousand is technically true, it was going down. So by the time you had the vaccine, you're already down 90%. It was trending down anyway. But they don't tell you this. They basically point to the left side of the chart and then the far right side of the chart and say, look, it was all due to the vaccine. Simply not true. So although technically correct those data points, it's completely wrong. So if I was grading this paper in high school, it would get an F. Because that that's that's a that's a completely wrong first paragraph. Wow. As you can see, the trend line, whooping cough, no difference after the vaccine, still stayed the same, was going down, 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 down. Here's another example. Uh, This one's a little bit more recent, 2007. Okay. So they're comparing vaccine-preventable diseases, right? Because they always emphasize vaccines in every article, because it has to be has to be due with the vaccine. Nothing else matters. Mm-hmm. So we're going to look at one thing: measles. They had 440 deaths per year on average, but note the years they're picking: 1953 to 1962. Okay, 
And then, so they had an average of 440 deaths across the entire United States. That's true. By net 2004, there were zero deaths attributed to measles, which is also true. So they tell you that 100% of the reduction is because of the vaccine. Yeah. Right. So, so their conclusion is because there used to be people that die, now we have a vaccine, now people don't die. So 100% successful vaccine. Again, this is cherry-picked data. They pick that small data range. They ignore all the data to the left side because if they included it, they would have had to say, well, it was declining anyway and actually declined by 98% before there was a vaccine. It would totally destroy the entire argument. Again, they're picking cherry-picking data, and these are published in study, you know, uh, peer-reviewed uh, journals. Yeah. And yet, this is clearly misleading. And there's journal article, article after journal article that does the exact same thing. They cherry pick the data to prove something. Why do you suppose they didn't pick a section with more deaths? Well, they they don't want to pick too far to the left, I think, because then it would have shown massive declines ahead of time, right? I guess they could have mm-hmm. picked something from. Uh, 1912 to 1920 and not told you about the decline and gave full credit to the vaccine, but who knows? (laughs) It's wild. But it's not true. Again, these charts tell the truth. So this is a branch of science that looks at, you know, how people get manipulated with, you know, misleading data. So that's where we are with all this vaccine stuff. And if you read enough of the vaccine studies, you'll find that they're, they're basically all the kind of the same. They leave out key points of data because the key points of data tell you, tell a completely different story than the ones they want you to hear about. Now, why, why do individual people publish studies like that? Again, I don't know. There's, there's profit motives. There's ideological, ideological motives. There's just the, well, I don't want to put anything out that challenges the vaccines because then I'll I'll get ridiculed or I, maybe I wouldn't even get it published if I did. They'll lose the, their funding. They'll lose their jobs. Yeah. So you have to, you have to, you have to be part of the club in order to do things. Yeah. So when you look at these studies, you have to be really objective and look at the actual data because they, those studies actually refer to data. And I would get that exact data that they used. It was the same charts I had, but they simply just didn't use all of it. They cherry picked what they wanted, which is stunning that that actually happens. I couldn't believe it when I was reading through this stuff. I was like, why do doctors think this is so great? You start reading the studies and you realize, let me say that chart doesn't match what they're saying. Something's wrong. It's really blatant fraud is what it is. <laughs> Yeah, well, these, you know, people should be held accountable for publishing this, you know, malarkey. Yeah. You know, this is just not right. I would give an F minus to the other study too. Like you can't, you can't do that. That's not, that's not, that's not, that's not being honest. That's dishonest. Yeah. Um, you want to keep going? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. You're glutton for punishment. Okay. <laughs> no, it's great stuff. So, <clears throat> I'm not, I'm going to kind of breeze through this next section, okay. I think, because we kind of talked a little bit about it. But so what we've 
because we've ignored all this data, we missed the greatest health revolution in human history. And th these are pictures from the uh, 50s, 60s, and 70s when life was pretty good for not everybody. And of course, there were problems, but for for uh, a lot of the people in the Western world, people were living with clean water, healthier food, um, you know, plenty of sunshine, recreation. These things did not exist in the 1800s. Life was tough. I didn't know this when I was growing up as a kid. I was like, oh, everybody lived like this forever. Well, no, I guess not. No, it wasn't true at all. Uh, oh, what's interesting to know is if you, uh, this kind of typical picture of uh, 1970s, I think it was 1970s, the middle picture of people on the, on the beach. You'll mm -hmm. notice uh, there's not too many obese people on the beach. Yeah, people yeah. were pretty thin in the 70s. Yeah. Things started going bad in the 80s. <laughs> anyway, so we have this... Um, conception that this was life in the 1800s because we have wonderful programs and lovely you know movies and about the aristocracy and how everything was wonderful and it, it was just a grand old time with you know and i love movies and television programs but this is not real this is like a very tiny fraction of how people lived most people live like this and you can read uh jacob reese he, he, he called attention to this uh, early 1900s. This is how people, most people lived, the middle class and poor. It was not a wonderful time. So there was horrible housing where, you know, people had a high mortality rate. There's some more housing pictures. So you would have vermin in there. It was dirty, disgusting. And this is, this is not a pleasant place to live. This is how people lived. Um, no sanitation like we talked about. So things just went into the road and then into your water supply. And that's where you drank from. So you can see here with sewage. I like the picture with the dead horse that just rotting there as people played. My God. And you can see the structure of the houses. They're all dilapidated and filled with garbage. It's, yeah. uh, again, lack of sanitation. Uh, people just went to the bathroom and that's what into your water supply. You, you know, if you didn't have toilets, and this is already when you had toilets, <laughs> before that, you just threw it out the window. Uh, yeah, extremely hard labor. Uh, coal mining was brutal. And that's where you got your primary energy supplier from coal, coal mining. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people died over the many centuries, uh, many uh, decades of coal mining. Very tough, brutal. People worked endlessly. 12 to 16 hours a day. Child labor. There's lots of pictures of kids working in factories, uh, you know, coal mining and everything. This is not a, a way to grow, you know, grow up healthy, working so hard. Definitely not. And some of the kids would work 12 to 16 hours a day too. It's like, uh, you know, really tough glass blowers and it just, it goes on and on. Uh, food was horribly diseased. Uh, yeah, a good book is by Upton Sinclair, um, uh, The Jungle. That's the, the book where he talked about how food was um, actually put together for sausages and all these other kind of products that would just would grind up the rats and bread and poison and decaying food all and make sausages and, you know, sell them like, like that. It was, it was pretty brutal. 
Nasty. Pretty brutal food supply. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's talking about that here. Another good book to read. Fortunately, we don't typically eat like this anymore. <laughs> so hopefully. <laughs> Only certain Asian, Chinese food places in New York City. Well, yeah, there's still problems for sure. <laughs> uh, pollution was just catastrophic. It was just just filled with toxins. Here's a, here's a kid uh, deli- delivering ice box uh, ice for ice boxes. Um, early 1900s, I think it was, and oh. you can see that that fog is not a fog like, you know, like a water vapor fog. That was pollution. People lived in those kind of environments. So you take all these different things together. That's how people lived. And you can imagine you're not going to be a healthy person living in this, these kinds of conditions. And so we had this revolutionary change. I like that quote by Dr. Thurman said, when you give up sewage as your principal beverage, you know, you're going to get healthier. Um, <laughs> so I can't even imagine what they went through. It's horrifying. So th- all these different things came in at the same time. And that's what caused those big curves to go down to near zero of so-called infectious diseases. But we've gave, given full credit, 110% credit to the vaccines, even though they had little to nothing to do with it. Wait a minute. Is it giving credit to pasteurized milk? Uh, Yeah, to some extent, because uh, it would have been like pretty. So if you got milk from one cow, yeah. That was a different story. But back then, they would just take everything and they would put everything in there and it would just sit there and rot and oh. turn bad. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't think that makes pasteurization good, though. <laughs> I've read well, there's a difference. Early on, that it made a difference because the, the milk yeah. was so bad. Okay. The kids were dying from dysentery like all the time. Yeah. So it was killing the basically like yeah, yeah, yeah. the rotting milk. Right, right. Um, there were other diseases, which we, we figured out that were actually nutritional diseases, but they were considered viral by various people throughout times. And they were looking to figure out if they could make a vaccine or figure out how they could control it. Scurvy was considered, a you know, communicated somehow because people would go on ships and suddenly everybody would get sick. So they figured something was being spread around. Uh, Pellegra and beriberi, they were considered viral diseases until they figured out with just vitamin B deficiencies. And I think what we've done is we failed to recognize that almost all these things are nutritional deficiencies to one level or another. The other ones are just more complicated. Like you can look at vitamin, uh, at uh, measles as a vitamin C and vitamin A deficiency, more or less, because if you have high quantities of that, you don't have a problem. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So we transformed life from the left-hand side, the 1800s, early 1900s, to the right-hand side, 50s, 60s, and 70s, where life turned from garbage to really darn, you know, pretty darn good. We had it really good, but I don't think we really understood how good we had it. I certainly didn't, because you live in your own time frame, right? So you're in the 70s, you don't think about, oh, how was life, you know, 70 years ago? Oh, it was yeah. pretty garbagey. Now it's good. So we failed to kind of learn from history. All right. Well, people are vastly ignorant of history. They don't. Yeah. They don't look. So we, again, if you look at those pictures, you know, people are sitting around. They got a refrigerator, a nice place to live. Schools are nice. This was great. This is great. We had it great. We just failed to recognize it, and that's why I call it the world's. 
greatest health revolution no one knows about. Yeah, just some more pictures of uh, good times. Yeah, I, I, I took pictures from the 50s, 60s, and 70s because that's when it kind of peaked. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about smallpox now. Yeah, oh, I, wa- I want to talk about smallpox. Yeah, that's an interesting one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Uh... I didn't put everything in about smallpox because this is a long topic, basically. But mm. it started with the idea by this lady. She brought it back from the Orient that if we take smallpox and scratch it onto your arm, we're going to give you smallpox now so that you can go through the illness and then you won't have smallpox later. Okay. It kind of makes sense, right? We're going to give it to you now by scraping until it gets bloodied. Some st- some scabs from a person who died from smallpox. So we're going to give you to now, and then you won't get it later. So that's the whole premise, basically. <laughs> so it's give you a disease to prevent a disease. Right. And um, so that took a while to catch on. But uh, basically, um, it it took off. You know, eventually it became embedded that this was the way to prevent diseases. Um. So it it became something that that's how you did it for 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 smallpox. Um, although it did have a you know, depending on the time frame, either a low mortality rate from the procedure or higher one two three percent mortality rate from the procedure itself, because this procedure also varied over time. So you could either scratch it in deep and make it bloodied, which gave you a higher mortality rate. But later on, what caught on was uh, just giving you a very tiny little bit, like a surface thing, so you barely even got sick, which people then argued wasn't real, really giving you a smallpox. It was giving you a false sense of security. But you thought you were protected, but in in essence, people still died from smallpox anyway. Um, So what they found, various people found, and I I actually didn't include the chart, the mortality rate from smallpox over the 1700s actually went up quite a bit, about 50% from the beginning of this, from 1721, when she introduced that idea to the end of the century. Um, I think the death rate, yeah, death rate increased, increased on average by about 50%. So they were much worse off by the end of the uh, 1700s than they were in the beginning from this, at least, you know, from this procedure. So then we get this guy who had heard rumors about milkmaids that they were immune from uh, smallpox if they had this thing called cowpox. Um, this guy's name was Edward Jenner. Um, so by this point, people were more afraid of smallpox because we had this thing called inoculation that people had been doing for about 70 years, 80 years. And it wasn't working. So people were looking for something better because that wasn't working out, but this is basically the same thing, except now we're not using, uh, or scabs from somebody who died from smallpox. We're using something from a cow. So therefore it's different. And it, so this was basically the same thing. It just kind of slightly different because we're going to use it from something. that's not as bad as smallpox, 
It's cowpox, which is really, really mild. This was kind of the attitude and the idea. It turned out not to be true at all, but this was kind of the idea. So, uh, you know, he started vaccinating. He vaccinated this guy, a little boy called James Phipps. He later died of consumption, you know, uh, tuberculosis. Hmm. He had vaccinated his own son repeatedly with swine pox. And his son later died at the age of 21 from the uh, same thing, tuberculosis. Ooh. By the way, nope. you can see on the bottom, there's uh, references here. So you can look up this guy, uh, yeah. George William Winterburn, PhD, MD, and he wrote a whole whole book on the vaccination. There's, there's a lot of books on vaccination written in the 1800s. I have like 20 or 30 of them mm-hmm. written by various doctors and scientists that wow. weren't all that uh, complimentary towards vaccination, by the way. Oh, I'd love, um, <clears throat> I'd love to read those. Uh, I got tons of PDFs. I haven't ever oh. read them all because there's so many. Okay. You have to hook me up. Uh, so basically what happened is um, he got various people interested in vaccination, uh, even though there were people in the profession at the time said, hey, I know plenty of people who got smallpox after cowpox, but Jenner kind of just ignored those didn't fit his idea and this got pushed it becomes a whole political psychological thing why it caught on but basically you got various people interested and then once we had um the king deciding it's a good idea it pretty much got locked in because then parliament got involved because the parliament just basically followed whatever the king had to say and so very quickly um, Jenner's promise, Jenner promised basically, this will give you a very mild disease and it will protect you for life against smallpox. Of course, he, there's no way he could have ever said that uh, with any kind of proof, which there was no proof. But this is what he pushed and people believed him. Again, he was a really good pusher of his little idea and it really kind of caught on. There's other factors why it caught on because there was a, uh, a doctor that supported him uh, early on. Otherwise, it probably would have gone away, and it's just no one would have probably even known about this. But uh, uh, basically, he just pushed it through by belief alone, got people to jump onto this, and any objections, he would just use kind of double speak to keep it going. Hmm. And then it, it basically got codified into you know into the parliament and became this is how you protect thing. This is how you protect people from smallpox. Um, so this is 1799, one year after he came up with his idea, essentially. And so this guy got, uh, this, uh, Dr. Dr. Drake. Yeah. So he got this, uh, stuff from Jenner himself, scratched it onto a couple of kids, waited a few days and then tested them with smallpox and they all developed smallpox. So right out of the gate, it was a problem. It didn't work. So but, when you when you say that they were like injected with smallpox and well, it's not really injected. They scratched. They were scratching it onto arms. Right. Do you have any documentation on like what that entailed exactly? Like as far as ingredients or because I know it wasn't smallpox. <laughs> it wasn't a virus. Well, they were taking scabs from people who died from a smallpox. So right. Whatever was in those scabs. Okay. So, hmm. so what they were dying from you know, it depends on how deep you in. I think if you get microbes of any kind, uh, various um, 
bacteria and fungi and you actually scratched it into your bloodstream, you're going to have a problem. You're going to get sick. Well, bacteria are responding to something in, in the terrain. No, but the, I think there's a difference between having something there and then uh, putting something into your bloodstream that typically is pretty pretty clean. Yeah. You have a well, whole the bacteria are consuming something toxic. Yeah, I think that might that could cause issues. Right? Yeah, I'm saying if you put bacteria, if you take a, a vial of bacteria and inject it into yourself, you're going to have a problem. Because yeah, they're going to multiply. You can get sick respect, from right? from injecting almost anything. Actually, even I think Probably, I heard yeah. even saline. Yeah, had doctors tell me. Yeah, so I don't. I don't really know. I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there's a debate about all this kind of microbes do nothing or versus whatever. But I think what people were were getting sick from is scratching their arms with a bunch of unknown materials. Uh, yeah, I'll cover. I'll cover what that was really was, but because it wasn't just from a cow, but. Okay. Um, anyway, this, so this is the first example of vaccine failure. Um, yeah, so there's a couple, there's another quote about how many cases died out of 500. They didn't consider that too much of a problem because it wasn't too high, but people died from the uh, cowpox inoculations. Um, here's a whole bunch of different uh, ones where people were vaccinated and later they got smallpox and died. So there's a lot of cases of that. And you can read that through all the literature. This is an 1898 article uh, book. This is another guy who wrote a, a book on it. Um, and this is early on, early 1800s, uh, where they were finding that people who had um, gotten vaccinated, a lot of them still died from smallpox. So there was a lot of documentation showing this procedure was not working. But by the early 1800s, it already caught on as the way to prevent smallpox. And it was displacing uh, the original um, inoculation. It became very popular. Uh, Another one, Thomas Brown, surgeon, 30 years experience, had vaccinated 1,200 people, discovered it doesn't work, and stopped vaccinating. So there's there's an example of a doctor who figured out it didn't work and he said, Nope, we're done. I'm not doing this anymore because people are, are still dying from smallpox, but he was the minority. So even though he found it not to work, people who are making a, you know, a li- uh, living out of this, they continue to do it. So it still, still kept on going on. Hmm. Uh, yeah, this is another letter, letter or article 1829. And it's talking about how many people were vaccinated and they still got smallpox. And this, you know, again, nobody really paid attention to any of these kinds of things, even though they were printed in the medical journal of the Lancet. Uh, Just another one where people got um, smallpox after being cowpoxed. So I have a little video. It's like uh, six minutes long. And what I talk about in the video, what smallpox vaccine really was, it wasn't just from a cow. It's from a whole bunch of different things. And we'll talk about that in the video instead of me talking about it now. Okay, cool. Good good with that? Yeah, sure. Well, first, there's, there's this little quote from this Dr. Gifford in 1888. And what he's talking about here is that a vaccine wasn't just from cowpox. It was from horse grease. There's horse grease cowpox. There was also what they called spontaneous cowpox. 
There was also smallpox cowpox. That's where they took smallpox from a corpse and they scratched it on the cow to make vaccine stuff. <laughs> Plus, he said all these different taints through all these different people is what a vaccine really is. It's not all the same thing. It's a bunch. It's a menagerie of different things. And this is another doctor that was talking about this and objecting to you know what a vaccine really was. We all have heard the term vaccination. It's embedded into our cultural and societal consciousness as something miraculous to prevent disease. But who thought of this idea? And what was this first vaccine made of? It was noticed that the dirty hands of farm laborers who touched the teats or other sensitive parts of the cow produced the disorder which was named cowpox. Some people noticed that milkmaids or others who came down with cowpox were not, as a rule, subject to smallpox during epidemics. Consequently, it became a matter of countryside gossip that cowpox was a preventative against getting smallpox. Edward Jenner heard and believed these rumors despite many reported cases of smallpox after cowpox. Edward Jenner did his famous experiment using pus obtained from a cow. Actually, he took material from a pus-filled store on the hand of a dairymaid that Jenner claimed had been infected from milking cows. Then he inserted the pus into two incisions on the arm of an eight-year-old boy. The child was later deliberately exposed to smallpox to test the protective property of the cowpox inoculation. When the boy did not contract clinical smallpox, Jenner claimed that the cowpox vaccination was successful and would provide lifelong protection against smallpox. Jenner named his product after the Latin name for cow, vaca, and the idea of vaccination was born. Vaccine material could be saved by placing numerous pox scabs into a container, filling it with water and shaking it. That diluted pox scab mixture would be used to vaccinate others. From the beginning, Edward Jenner thought that genuine cowpox disease originated from the running sores of a sick horse's heels, a condition called the grease, also known as horsepox. So Jenner used horsepox to vaccinate and supplied it to others as a source of vaccine. Jenner also thought that smallpox, swinepox, cowpox, and horsepox were merely varieties of the same disease. Jenner also approved the use of goatpox, which was used to vaccinate children. In 1789, Jenner had inoculated his 18-month-old son with swinepox. Between that year and 1792, he repeatedly inoculated his son with smallpox. Possibly due to these experiments, his son was always delicate in health and died of pulmonary consumption, now known as tuberculosis, at the young age of 21. Over the years and decades, whatever vaccine material was used seemed to lose its potency. So many believed to regenerate and increase the virulence of the virus stock was to pass it through humans or animals other than a cow, such as a horse, donkey, mule, goat, sheep, or rabbit. Even buffalo was used to create vaccine material. Also, over many decades, cows were directly inoculated with smallpox from someone that had died of smallpox to make smallpox cow vaccine material. In addition, the blankets from people who died from smallpox were hung around cows' heads to make vaccine material. The ulcerated udder of a cow subject to this procedure was then scraped to get the vaccine material. The notion of regenerating supposedly fading vaccine material became known as retro-vaccination. The pus would be taken from humans and then to animals and then back to humans again. Children and young animals were preferred because they were seen as healthier in producing better vaccine material. Once a person was vaccinated with some type of concoction made from the pus of a sore on a cow, horse, goat, pig, sheep, mule, ass, buffalo, rabbit, or smallpox from a corpse scratched onto a cow or other animal, that person was used to vaccinate the next person and then the next and the next in a procedure called arm-to-arm -arm vaccination. 
Vaccine material would eventually be scratched from animal to animal to reinvigorate the vaccine stock, which was then used to vaccinate more people. On top of that, we know hygiene was virtually non-existent during the 1800s, so every vaccination on every human and every animal is mixed with whatever other microbes and assorted chemicals were on the skin and in the pus of that creature. Even by the relatively more hygienic first half of the 1900s, as many as half a billion organisms, including bacteria, yeast, and fungi per milliliter, might be present in each vaccine. By the late 1800s, large vaccine farms were established to produce vaccines. The extracted pus used for vaccination would unavoidably be mixed with blood during the collection process. Collected vaccine points collected from numerous animals would be left out in the open areas to be dried before being sent out for distribution to vaccinate millions. Even by the 1880s, vaccine farms were often crowded and unhygienic, leaving little doubt that what was termed so-called pure lymph that was often claimed by public officials was anything but that. So in reality, a vaccine was never really a vaccine in the sense of the word where vaca means cow. Instead, vaccination was essentially a brand name used to describe pus and blood from an entire menagerie of animals, cows, horses, goats, pigs, sheep, mules, asses, buffaloes, rabbits, and humans, including corpses of those that died from smallpox, microbes and chemicals scratched onto people with the notion of keeping them safe from smallpox. Each scratch a person received would be a haphazard gamble as to what was in that mystery brew. Yet, this worldwide experiment attempting to protect people from a single disease continued for over a hundred years. And despite countless vaccine injuries and deaths and repeated and massive vaccination failures, astonishingly, vaccination was mythologized as nothing more than a cowpox virus used to conquer smallpox. Knowing what this concoction called a vaccine was really made of, does it make sense to you that it could have possibly been responsible for eradicating any disease? Anyway, there's another guy, Dr. Skelton, 1892, where he talks about, you know, how this got going. Okay. So, so anyway, it was never about a, uh, you know, this so supposed cowpox protecting us from smallpox. It just, that's just not reality. Right. That's quite a history. Yeah. <clears throat> and here are some, I didn't provide all the references in these, but here's uh, Winterburn talking about how he thought it was swine pox, cow pox, horse grease, uh, how they vaccinated people with goat pox. <laughs> and here's um, uh, some other uh, documentation, you know, where they're talking about somebody died from smallpox or somebody's from their blanket or from their scabs or whatever. They used to make vaccine material out of that, too. So it's a lot more than just, again, the, this magic cow, of, you know, saving humanity. Yeah, here's a, a letter to Dr. Hodge, who also became quite uh, upset about vaccination. And here they admitted that uh, from this vaccine farm that they were using, um, um, they were making vaccine from basically somebody who died or somebody who had smallpox from their stables. That's how they started making this stuff. And that's what they were using for a vaccine. Uh, yeah, so there's just more documentation that we talked about in the video. There's the final picture, fun stuff. <laughs> Um. Yeah. So millions of vaccinations are made every year, and nobody knows what they're really made with, as we just talked about in the video. Uh, this is an example of a 
what they called a good arm. This is what vaccination was. They would scratch your arm in multiple places yeah. and it would you'd get all pus filled and yeah, really, really pleasant. And this one's considered good. This meant you, you had a good vaccine. <laughs> and you don't, you know, when you had a vaccine, it wasn't like this wonderful thing they showed. They always showed Jenner like scraping a little on a boy and everything's fine and wonderful. Right. But people got really sick. It's like they were and, gouging their arms. Like, I mean, they're definitely causing, yeah. Yeah. So they got sick. They got temperatures. They were sick for 10 days in this particular example. And, uh, you know, they have what headache, nausea, diarrhea, swelling, uh, a lot of pain. Yeah. Introducing toxins into their bloodstream. Right. And sometimes they would have a horrible reaction like this. Our arm would be eaten off, basically, oh, a big, my. huge hole. Yeah, of course, um, that's going to kill huh? you if it's left untreated. Yeah, this poor poor girl, she got vaccine and she, she slowly just withered away and died, turned into a skeleton. Oh. Another one that died, uh, she got vaccinated at age 22 and she just turned into a living skeleton with swollen legs. This this poor kid, that's his arm at the bottom. He got a vaccine and he ended up uh, with that condition. I don't know if he died or not, but that was pretty bad. Um, here's another little article where town authorities decided they're going to vaccinate everybody and everybody got sick and, uh, had to use lots of pain medication and they went through, they went through hell after they got the vaccine. Really? Of course, no one knows what that vaccine really was. Was it, what was in it? No one knows. They just called it brand name of vaccine. So therefore it had to be good. Yeah, can I just um, read this real quick? It says the the result has been fearful. Nearly everyone vaccinated has suffered severely from erythema or erysipelas. Erysipelas, yeah. Erysipelas, the arm swollen from shoulder to wrist and the point of puncture presenting the appearance of a sloughing ulcer, discharging freely. Same as blood. That's like blood-filled, blood-filled pus, yeah. Right. Many of the sufferers have been confined to bed with high fever from five to 10 days, requiring the constant application of poultices to the arm and a free use of morphia for the relief of pain. Wow. Those who have tried it tell me they would much prefer to have smallpox. (laughs) (laughs) So that's, you don't hear about that with the the magic of vaccination, right? It's just like, oh, we got it. And then we got rid of smallpox. Right. Have you Uh, read? Go ahead. Sorry, have you read about the conquistadors at all? Um, A lot of people point to that time. Um, It was really interesting because they they kind of like, you know, uh, took over the conquistadors, the the, uh, Native Americans, and they were forced to mine um, mercury-based minerals, um, which uh, would cause what looks almost exactly like, well, exactly like smallpox. Hmm. yeah. No, really- I, I have not read that. I always wondered about um, the stories that natives were wiped out by smallpox. Yeah, I read a little bit about Which- it, and they they were like forced to mine, and a lot of the a lot of the native Indians um, like even killed themselves because they were just uh, they were miserable. You know, they were basically like being used as slaves. I think. And, yeah, there was um, a lot of slavery going on. Yeah. Yeah, and sure. so they they tallied that into like the death poll of smallpox <laughs> yeah. Hmm. yeah interesting no i don't know enough about that hmm. um this chart shows like in boston they they had severe strict laws and by 1855 that were enacted everybody had to get a vaccine 
if you were poor, they gave it to you. Everyone had to be vaccinated. And what this shows is the deaths before vaccination laws, 20 years before and 20 years after. 20 years after, there was more deaths from, from smallpox than there were 20 years before the strict laws. So you would think after you enacted these laws that, gee, the mortality rate should drop, but it didn't. It got worse. So that's just a, that's just data showing that this this uh, idea was a failure. Uh, here's more examples um, of vaccination failures. And I like the bottom one. Official returns from Germany show that between 1870 and 1885, one million vaccinated persons died from smallpox. Well, that doesn't sound too uh, impressive. <laughs> it's a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, so there's just a, there's there's tons of examples out there in this in the literature showing that people died from smallpox after vaccination. So, um, and he, this is uh, again, you know, chart. I have scarlet fever mapped in here too, but the gray bar at the bottom shows deaths from. Um, smallpox starting in 1838 and it goes down 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 by the time you hit the 1900s uh you know the disease rate went down but then again so did every every other disease so-called infectious disease so they had really strict laws by 1867 and there was a big spike up in 1871 1872 large number of vaccination um smallpox deaths even though everybody was vaccinated by that point so it's a big, you know, black eye to the establishment that said, "Oh, we got to vaccinate everybody." Right? Didn't work. Um, but people didn't put up with it. By the way, uh, by 1885, there was a big protest in Leicester, England. They said, "We had enough," and because they they were being forced to get vaccinated, and if you didn't get vaccinated, they would fine you. If you didn't have money for it, they would sell your furniture or they would throw you in prison. And more and more people were choosing you know, going to prison and the courts were being overwhelmed and they were getting tired of it. The people protested, they kicked out their town council and st stuck in some, uh, another group that said, okay, you don't have to get vaccinated. Um, you know, I think there was a 20, 20 to a hundred thousand people at this protest in Leicester, England. So what they, what they did is they, they stopped vaccinating in Leicester, England. And this is a chart showing that. So what they had is the gray bar at the gray lines at the bottom, that's smallpox deaths. And by after 1885, vaccination rates, the blue line plummeted to like near zero or near 10, 10%, sorry. So you would expect if vaccination was great, that as the levels went way down, there would have been a big spike up in smallpox deaths. Actually, that never happened. Lester, Lester showed that you didn't need a vaccine at all to, to conquer smallpox in any respect. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, they did, you know, they did just fine. They did better than the surrounding towns that insisted on vaccination. And you can see by this chart that the as the vaccination rates went down, you know, there was just no there was no resurgence of smallpox. And knowing that who knows what are in these shots anyway, or they're not really shots or scratches. You don't know what was in that anyway. Right. So when they were giving it to you, you could have got sick. Yeah. You know, from whatever, who knows? I mean, if they're taking crap from dead bodies and putting it in your bloodstream, you know, that's a that's an issue right there. It's probably not a good idea. Yeah, no. When bodies are breaking then, down there. And they were scratching awesome. it from arm to arm to arm to arm. Yeah. So let's yeah. take uh, 
toss in blood and microbes from a dead corpse, put it in a jar, and then scratch it onto you, and then you can scratch it onto the next person, the next person. This is like a recipe for not not healthy living. <laughs> it sounds like a disaster, really. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, this this is a what was this British Medical Journal, eighteen forty, uh, nineteen nineteen forty eight. So here he's talking about for over sixty years, Lester did this experiment where they didn't vaccinate. As a matter of fact, vaccination rates plummeted across uh, England. They were very low. And yet there was no resurgence of smallpox. It didn't come back. It didn't come, you know, it wasn't the vaccine that was protecting people because if it did, smallpox would be around now because vaccination rates just plummeted. You know, there, there was a conscientious law. You didn't have to get vaccinated. And the medical people of the time were screaming bloody murder when Lester st- stopped vaccinating. They were making fun of them. It was like, oh, well, you're, you're all going to die because you didn't <laughs> acknowledge how vaccination was great. And you're all a bunch of idiots. And, you know, they were very, very upset by it. And they kept that up until the 1920s and 1930s. They were like, you're all eventually going to die. You're all going to suffer. Never <laughs> happened. Any Never minute happened. now. <laughs> yeah. So it's a very, it's very much the same behavior as now. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's very interesting. And we talked about how all diseases declined from the late 1800s to like the mid 1900s. Smallpox is no exception. Smallpox did the exact same thing. So smallpox was considered to kill one in five people. By 1896 had transformed, basically wasn't killing many people at all. As a matter of fact, it was so mild they came up with all sorts of different things to call it because they didn't know what the, didn't know what it was. So we had to call it all these different weird names. And this table shows what happened to smallpox. Case fatality rate dropped, and so deaths decreased by over you know, basically ninety eight percent, over ninety eight percent. And this is. From this is public health reports. So this is a mainstream medical journal showing that the deaths from smallpox dropped in the first half of the 1900s. But even though vaccination rates were dropping, but the vaccine mythology doesn't tell you this part of it. They just go, "Well, we invented a vaccine. Thank you, Dr. Jenner. You're you're a genius." And then now we don't have smallpox because of that. This is simply just a fantasy. It's not real. And here's the data that shows it's not real. So the case fatality rate just plummeted. So in, in, in 1900, it was 4.2. 4. By 1939, it was 0.38. Had nothing to do with the vaccine. Wow. And it's just another uh, little chart showing uh, uh, deaths at various age ranges just kept on going down despite the vaccination rate going down or maybe because of so the vaccination rates went down but the mortality rate continued to improve and again that's the same reason they were improving in the first place you know clean water healthy food labor laws all those things came to play at the same time uh so th- there's lots of different doctors and PhDs that were you know pretty ticked off about vaccination and they, they wrote books and had quotes and stuff like that. I'm not going to go through all these. I don't think so. 
Dr. Hodge is another guy. Dr. Crichton, he wrote a uh, rather uncomplimentary, because um, he was a just a regular doctor. He believed in the vaccination. He started researching it and wrote some stuff in the Encyclopedia, Encyclopedia Britannica in the late 1800s. It was not very complimentary for vaccination. Um, and he eventually ended up writing books on the topic, uh, exposing it as uh, nothing but a, you know, a fraud. Wow. And this was a very interesting um, uh, meeting of the CDC in 2002 by Dr. Mack, who apparently was out in the field for like 40 years working on smallpox. And in that meeting, he said, if people are worried about endemic smallpox, it disappeared from this country, not because of our mass herd immunity. It disappeared because of our economic development. And that's why it disappeared from Europe and many other countries. It will not be sustained here, even if there are several importations. I'm sure it's not from universal vaccination. So this guy was the expert, and he said it's not because of vaccination, which is clear from the data. Right. So has anyone you've shown this to offered any kind of rebuttal? Um, or what's the, I know you mentioned a little bit, but what's generally the kind of reaction to this, uh, to this well, I haven't, I haven't really got any, um, feedback challenging any of the data because the data is foolproof. Mm -hmm. Um, no, I haven't really heard anything from like somebody who would consider themselves pro vaccine trying to pick it apart. I haven't heard anything, but mm -hmm. I don't have that much of a you know, widespread audience. There's been virtually no criticism of the book. It's basically more or less ignored. Uh, the only comments I get, like on maybe um, on Amazon, are generally uh, the same anti-vaxxer nonsense. You know, basically <laughs> nothing, nothing in depth. I love and, those. Uh, there's no real good, solid criticism of anything. They just kind of ignore it. And those idiots who leave those comments never read the book. They will. Well, it was clear by it. some of the comments they didn't read the book at all. Yeah. Yeah, it just it just, you know, it people make stupid comments all the time. So. Yep. I haven't really gotten any challenges that weren't just name calling. Crazy. Yep, pretty crazy. Yeah, it really is just people's failure or unwillingness to um to really look at the material or challenge themselves, challenge their own views on on things. That's the that's the craziest I mean, I, part. I, I get that. It took me a long time to get comfortable with this stuff because yeah. because it's so it seems like insane. It is insane. <laughs> you know, when you look at the charts, they're so dramatically show that vaccination wasn't that big of a deal and that yeah. you know mortality rates were just gone. Why? And there were there were um there were comments made in 1930s and 40s in medical journals saying, "Oh, we don't have to worry about um, infectious diseases because they just don't make up that much of our mortality statistics anymore. We don't have to worry about them. They're just, they're not, not an issue anymore. Nobody, no, people weren't worried about it anymore, but there was a small group of people that decided vaccines are a great idea and they pushed them and they slowly got it embedded back into our societies, even though smallpox vaccination was a failure, but they've mythologized it into something great. Because it's the people profiting off of them. Yeah, people so then they come up with these other ideas and they 
slowly push it into this and that and let's let's add it to the schools and so we're 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 here today where all these things are like mandated by people who don't even understand what they're mandating they're just like because there's a magical word in our society it starts with a v i bet you can guess what it is it's it's a magic word yeah you say it it means safe and effective there's no questioning it's just a magic word and people have been just based uh, you know hoodwinked by this so it's automatic if it if it has the magic v word in it it could be filled with anything it doesn't matter because it's magic it's automatically going to protect you there's no downside ever vaccines save lives man that's what i yeah basically it's it's (laughs) it's amazing how ridiculous it really is yeah I don't know. Do you think this? Do you think people will ever wake up to this um, in the future? I, I mean, it seems they're really there, asleep. There, there are pl- plenty of doctors, including Doctor Crichton, which he wrote several books. He was not. He was a well-respected guy yeah. um, that said this will eventually go away. This is so silly; it's ridiculous. Basically, that's what they said. You know, there's a lot more to it than that. But they said this is just <clears throat> nonsense. This is nonsense. But it yeah. it's it had staying power. Yep. I think it all be it all began well before Jenner because they they had the idea of uh, scratching smallpox onto your arms so that that became eighty years of experience of that's a great idea and then when Jenner came up with this idea he was clever because he got uh, the gentry and people saying hey this is easy anybody can do it. So they got all sorts of people just you know, scratching it on. And they thought it was a great idea. It became very in vogue. And then they got a few uh, royalty involved. And the royalty said, yeah, this is good. We're going to do this. And then that suckered the par- parliament in. And there was a bunch of doctors that basically jumped on the bandwagon, too, with almost no evidence. Just like, yeah. oh, well, we think it's working. So they were all on board, too. And it just once it got that momentum, it just never stopped. No matter how many failures, no matter how many people got sick, no matter who was injured, it didn't matter. It just didn't matter. History has really just repeated itself from, you know, this was a scam from the beginning and it's just repeated and repeated and become more modernized. Right. The truth of real health is, like we talked about a little bit, is eating healthy food, drinking nice water, getting sunshine, exercise, having a good life, having good relationships. That's pretty much about it. That's all you really need. You yeah. don't need a lot of medical intervention for all that. You don't need any of that stuff. So then it's like, oh, well, who's going to make any money? But yeah, like a farmer, <laughs> he doesn't make any money. So, you know, and, but there's a certain amount of personal responsibility to that, right? You can't go to somebody to fix your problems. So you have to, you have to exercise. You can't sit on uh, Facebook 16 hours a day and think you're going to end up healthy. You don't get any sunshine. You don't get any exercise. You have to do things. You can't eat McDonald's and Dunkin' Donuts. You have to go have some food that's real, not something that somebody squeezed out of a factory. All these things make a difference, but but that you have to do them. And people don't, you know, a lot of people don't want to. They've been trained not to. Yeah, and you can't rely on a magic pill or an injection. You know, yeah, none of that like, stuff really works. If you look yeah. at the mortality 
um, uh, the average age of death over the last 19, no, I think it was from 2000 to 2016. There's been no improvement in life expectancy in the United States. It's basically the same for 16 years or so. Wow. And we're spending billions of dollars, like huge amounts of money. And our life expectancy is the same. We're running around giving people all sorts of medications to compensate for things. People are not doing well, but we're not looking at that. We're not looking at medical error. We're just in this kind of fantasy land where, you know, doctors fix everything and you don't have to do crap. <laughs> Except for maybe smoking. They finally got on board with smoking. That took decades. <laughs> like, well, oh, maybe told- it's not a good maybe yeah, it's not a good idea to take something burning with chemicals and shove it into your lungs. Maybe that's a bad idea. Yeah. Took a while to figure that out. But we're still we're still we're still seem to be fine with yeah, you can go to McDonald's six days a week and eat greasy garbage food. That'll be fine. You can do that. It's you know, fruits and vegetables, eh, whatever. Who cares? So this all this junk food is continuously pumped into us and yeah and we're surrounded by bad things it's just yeah, and no exercise exercise is like well okay uh people, a lot of people don't ever i know people never exercise mm-hmm. um and sunshine was demonized you know oh you don't go on sun you'll get skin cancer <laughs> i know people who will not go in the sun oh, they are afraid God. of the sun and which is a really really bad idea yeah. Not only with vitamin D, but just sunlight overall. And, you know, people are don't go out in nature because they're too busy on computers. Like, I guess we shouldn't talk because we're on a computer right now. But, <laughs> but they never go out. Um, uh, yesterday, I was out in the garden for two hours, two and a half hours. You know, sunshine and sweating and doing stuff. You know, this is all good stuff. But yeah. we've been trained to, oh, we'll just go on Facebook and and uh, YouTube, and that's all you need to do. And they go to work and eat a bunch of garbage. And this is, you're not going to end up healthy. I know a lot of people who are friends of mine who are, are quite sick mm-hmm. and they get trapped into the, oh, my doctor wants me to de- take all these medications. Okay. That's not going to end well. Like the person I talked about that was really near death because she was on too many meds. And once right. she was off of them, she became, she was alive again. Yeah, I'm not surprised. So we need to pay attention. We need not to. We can change course and it will be good for you. You'll be happier. You'll be fitter. You'll have you'll have less problems. It'll be better for your environment. It'll be better for your community. The only thing it's going to impact is, uh, you know, profits of the junk food and medical industrial complex. <laughs> Yeah. So unfortunately, that's a huge part of our economy. But you know, oh well, we need to. You know, we're we're uh, working on six garden beds here in our yard, a very small yard. We're going to grow like fifty, you know, five hundred different things. Why not? You can grow it yourself, and it's all organic and delicious and fresh. And that's the key, uh, man. If everybody did even... that, we wouldn't have much of a problem with. Yeah, you food can't supplies. even find organic stuff anymore in some places. It's like near impossible. <clears throat> yeah, it depends on the location. Yeah. Yeah. Just get GM, but that's that's not the business model. We need to have big, big, huge agriculture places so that Bill Gates and these other clowns can buy all this stuff <laughs> and, and control you, control your food supply. Yeah, in the in the in the various war, World War One, World War Two, they had victory gardens. People were encouraged to grow their own stuff. 
Now it's like, no, don't grow your own stuff. That's bad. Just buy it at the store. Because <laughs> it's going to impact the economy. If too many people grow their own stuff, it will crash the economy. So we don't want to do that. But uh, you, you know, grow your own stuff as much as you can. Yeah. Why not? It's it's fun. It's interesting. You learn a whole bunch of new stuff, and you're you're kind of you know self sufficient. Yep. And uh, you much more like uh, less likely to get sick because you're out there doing things, getting sunshine, and you're getting some activity, and you feel good, and you're interacting with people. It's just it's we do all the things that are positive. We don't have much of a problem. I think the medical system was taking like 5% of GDP three or three to 5% like in 1950. Now it's like almost 20%. This is insane. You can't spend that much money on so-called healthcare. It's too much. It's always more and more and more and more procedures and more drugs and more of this and more shots. This is not, this is not a healthy society. We can have a healthy society. We just have to do it completely differently. And we can do that. We can all decide that we don't need to be part of the system. We can do all these other things and use the system when you need to use it. If we use doctors for things that are really good, like, you know, accidents, they're great. Emergency surgeries are great. Mm -hmm. Holy cow. You couldn't have that in 1800s. Too bad. You're, you're out of luck. You're dead. Now we have great stuff. We can repair all sorts of things. This is what we should be using medicine for. Not for all this other stuff. Like mammograms, the Cochrane Institute showed that mammograms are worthless. They don't provide any benefit. Why are we doing that still? We have evidence-based medicine saying it's not a good idea. Oh, no, we'll still do it anyway. We're making money. We're not going to stop that. It's also no one wants to admit that they were doing something that was you know, worthless. So um, so I think people should look up the Cochrane Institute, on which what they do, all they do is evaluate the evidence of stuff. They don't do any original research and they couldn't find any evidence that mammograms were a good idea. <laughs> so you know, there's all these things we do because we're doing them. doesn't mean they're a good idea. Yeah. Question everything. Hope, uh, hope that's a, that's a lesson too. Then until you look into yeah. stuff, you know, you might not really know what yeah, the real don't, deal don't, is. Don't be a monkey. Don't, don't be a do monkey, monkey or, see, a monkey, or whatever. <laughs> poo poo head, whatever you said. Yeah. Um, don't call people poopy head and don't, don't do call... monkey see monkey do <laughs> exactly and I something think that you should know by the time you're three years old don't do these things but we're still doing them. absolutely don't follow yeah. what everybody else is doing just because they're doing it doesn't mean they're right yeah that's definitely yeah that's for sure and i think we've learned that over the last two years um, uh we'll see we'll see if we learned anything <laughs> we'll see if it's if it really sticks but um all right man well yeah i'll let you go before we get too long here but uh so the the website is dissolvingillusions.com and the book yep. is dissolving illusions disease vaccines and the forgotten history yep uh i hope everybody um, checks that out it's translated into italian french mm-hmm. spanish german i thought another one but that's it uh, Portuguese is almost done and uh, Japanese is going to come out too. So. Okay. So you can be, awesome. I can be, I can be a poopy head in multiple languages. <laughs> Check out this poopy head and uh, share the graphs with your friends and, and yeah, doctors please. and anybody. The graphs are in full color, print them out, uh, make t-shirts, whatever you want. And I was thinking about making t-shirts. I haven't done it yet, but um, you know, make up stuff, 
share it with your friends, make postcards, whatever, send it to Congress. You know, talk about, I doubt anything good. <laughs> talk about anybody in Congress. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, influence people, show your doctor or your pediatrician, ask them questions. Yeah. We, too long people who are called poopy heads are uh, on the defensive. Don't don't be mean. I don't want anybody to be mean or nasty because I don't believe in that. But take this information, ask questions. Like, hey, how come I don't know this? And how come this happened? And you know, really ask questions. Don't don't let them control the narrative because I don't feel that their narrative is correct. Right. I don't either. And if anybody and has if you a- think they're if you think their narrative is correct, then go get one. I don't care. Well, well, show your, us the evidence. Personal, personal yeah. right, right. Send us the evidence. I would love. I'd love any uh, rebuttals to this information. I would. I would like that too. Yeah, because we're always looking for new information, and if new evidence is presented, then we're willing to accept that because that's what uh, you know. Doing real science is. Yeah, um, it's called it. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's called. It's based on evidence, not uh, monkey see, monkey do. Not monkey see, monkey do. And if anybody's interested in um, learning more about viruses, if you're new to the the podcast or the lack thereof vi- of viruses, um, yeah, you can check out some of my other episodes. I know uh, number twenty seven is one of them where we talk about the contagion myth. Um, that's also really important to me that people learn more about terrain and and how you know look into how they're actually you know supposedly discovering these things so all right man well thank you so much for for coming by really uh that was uh that was awesome and informative awesome cool oh maybe we'll get together again sometime yeah i hope so definitely come by i know you're writing a new book and stuff or you've written a new book i'm sorry i think i got a lot of stuff going on i wrote a new book on on the environment and uh it's not about uh co2 basically some stuff in there about that but it's all the severe um environmental challenges we have mm-hmm. um such as plastics in our oceans and plastics in our environment which is i think a huge problem uh overfishing we're collapsing all the fish stocks across the planet we're collapsing all the uh tropical rainforests uh the amazons close to collapse um if not already crossing that threshold so we have all these serious problems going on and we're more or less ignoring them if we run out of fish in the ocean that might be a bit of a problem. It's going to be hard to turn back from that. So there's all these things going on that we're essentially ignoring species extinction. Species are collapsing in various places. Insects are going away. This is not good. There's a lot of animals just vanishing off the planet. Um, and you know we need to like really focus on keeping our world healthy. And part of that is by you being healthy and doing your own local thing. And uh, I think that will make a big difference. And, so the point of the book is looking at all the evidences, we got a thousand references in there of all these different things that are going on. Um, and I think and it's got a lot of history in it. And I talk about the the milliners with the hats and hunting the buffalo and all that kind of stuff and the species extinction, um, the passenger pigeon. So that's there's a lot of, I think, really good stuff in there uh, worth checking out. Uh, it's uh, called Moving Back from Midnight. It's linked from the uh, Dissolving Illusions website. And... You know, we, I, I think if we don't pay attention to those things, we're going to COVID is going to look like, you know, a tea party. It's it's going to be a joke because when things really start unwinding, what are we going to do? And nobody's really thinking about it. They're just thinking, well, we'll just uh, restrict your driving and that will take care of the problem. Uh, no, mm-hmm. that's not going to fix it. 
you need to do we need to wake up and be a more more mature we got to get out of the three-year-old mentality there's a lot of things we can do on a personal level we don't need to just keep on you know waiting for somebody to fix the problem we need to take control and like i said one of the solutions is which is good for you and good for your family and good for your community is grow your own food grow some of your own food start out small expand you can do that yourself. You don't have to rely on, you know, getting a tomato from, you know, Argentina. You can do it too. There's a lot of things people can do. They just don't they've gotten used to like everything being a uh, spoon fed to them. So, Thanks. you know, check out that book. Yeah. Something to think about. All right, man. Thanks again. Really right. appreciate you coming by. All right. Have a great day. You too.